Welcome to Weird Kid Video. I'm Cameron Snape and I miss video source so much I opened one in my own home, packed with the VHS tapes of the trash cinema I grew up watching at a highly inappropriate age. Every week I force my co-host Kira Jade Opitz and Brandon McDonald to sit through a movie for us to discuss. So come on in, have a look around and sign up for a membership. This is Weird Kid Video. Old business? Old business. Well, first business is that it's just you and me, sport. How do we do business it's anymore? It's just Ken and Brody. Yeah, boy. It's bad. It's going to be yeah, real this, bad. Nah, this is best. Adam is uh, ice climbing in the uh, Swiss Alps. It's weird. It's a weird <laughs> hobby to have as an Australian ice it climbing. Yeah. yeah. I wonder where he picked it up. I don't know. Yeah. No, he's in <laughs> Melbourne. Um, uh, ice climbing. And Kira just didn't want to do this episode. Yeah. <laughs> she just didn't want to do this movie. We'll talk about why I don't, later. Uh, why? <laughs> we do, I don't know. I do have some actual old business. So I have to get serious for a second. Sure. So Will Keenan, one of the stars of Tromeo and Juliet. Yeah. Uh, tr- our Tromeo. Yeah. He was recently attacked in New York City. No. Yeah. And uh, it was pretty bad. He lost the use of one of his eyes. Shit. Yeah, like real bad. Was it targeted? He was wearing a mask. Uh, he was attacked from behind by somebody because he was wearing a mask to protect himself and his family. Shut up. Yep. So there's but there's a GoFundMe for him. It's probably over by the time that this episode comes out. Mm. But if you are in any position to, to help him out and support him, then yeah. you can probably find a way to do that. So if you just search Will Keenan GoFundMe. Fuck. No one deserves that. that. Yep, no, it's real shit. The second thing is just a piece of... Occasionally we do episodes and then there's like this weird... Cultural lineup. Cultural lineup. Yeah, yeah. I've so, noticed that too. Yeah, it's weird. I, I mean, it's always something's anniversary. It's the 25th anniversary of last night coming out at the Toronto International Film Festival. Oh. So they had a screening... Really? ...of last night at Toronto this year. One of the things that came out of it, unfortunately, the article about it was behind a was behind a paywall for a Canadian news no, website that yeah. I'm not signing up for just to read that. You know, article. you can get rid of that stuff by just like inspecting and then yeah, like I know, yeah, yeah, but I just didn't anyway. Okay. So there's a 4K coming. Okay, is the news that came out of TIFF about for last night, which is so it would exciting. be beautiful, but because, it's not necessarily necessary for the movie. Well, shot of film, so to look, so to look, sure. it'll look good, um, sure. and also the fact that there isn't really a HD version floating yeah. around that. It, it, you know, there was a DVD what? release, that but there's no Blu-ray, Blu-ray release. So the fact that it's going to be on 4K soon is awesome. If you so, if you enjoy that episode and you enjoyed the movie, have a have a look out for that. For that, yeah, 4K. Guys, watch last night. It is such a good film. It is, and that's my that's my old business. Yeah, any old business. Not really. I miss uh, you guys. I miss the pod. So it's been so long since we've recorded. It's been like three months since I've been on here at least, right? <laughs> it hasn't been that long. It's felt like years. It, we recorded two episodes pretty close together. We did the fly and last night really close together. And then yeah. there's been a, like a probably about six or seven week gap. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Between, between recording. We did dinosaurs in the, in, Adam and I did dinosaurs yeah. in the middle, but that was very quick quickly done so mm, yeah so it's, it's been, been a long been a time while. since we've recorded so we should probably move on to the new business let's do new business keen <laughs> brody was unimpressed with the amount of notes i have oh, i am i am intimidated <laughs> have a lot of notes. i'm intimidated but i feel like i am excited because like don't mean to spoil it but like fucking having a good time over here okay good yeah new business this episode we're looping up our bioports and jacking in to play <laughs> existence lowercase C, <laughs> capital X, capital Z, <laughs> new from David Cronenberg oh. in 1999. 
There's an intimacy involved in playing existence that is beyond description. They just pop your spine with a little hydro gun. Break out of your cage, Paco. I haven't crippled anyone yet. Step into my office. Now I'm warning you. It's going to be a wild ride. The new millennium. This is amazing. Will bring a new experience. You're the power source. We'll see how natural it feels. Where the playing field is a parallel universe. The game's a lot more fun when it starts feeling realer than real. Are you saying? I don't like it here. You think it's infected? It's not infected. It's just excited. I think we're still inside the game. Enemies in our own house. I do feel the urge to kill someone here. Do it. It's just a game. Something's wrong. Oh God! What happened? Let's come back here with us. Incredible. Good. I'm glad. Yeah, I um after your reaction to the fly, I was more confident that you would enjoy this movie. I even even after seeing the fly, I thought I was in for a different movie. I thought right. I was in for a more fly movie. As we said on the fly podcast, that movie is the more straight ahead of his his motion pictures. Yeah. 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 Okay. Kian, I love you, but there are some suggestions and some things that you love that just miss me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I was like, all right, I'm going to see this through Kian's eyes because I know what he appreciates is something that I should appreciate. You know what I mean? Like you have a, uh, you come to films with a certain appreciation for things, right? Where sometimes I can be like, ah, oh, just it missed me. I don't, I don't get it. Sure. I didn't need your eyes for this film. <laughs> oh, I good. really appreciate it. It's good because it. I was using them. Written and directed by David Cronenberg. This is his first original screenplay since Videodrome in 1983. Okay. So a long time between between drinks in terms of him writing something that's entirely him. Okay. I rewatched Videodrome in the leading up to this and very similar thematic movies. We We'll do Videodrome at some at some cool. point. If The Fly is like David Cronenberg at his most kind of normal yeah. <laughs> for him, yeah. right? And then Existens is like closer to the middle and then Videodrome is probably getting closer to his extre- to his extreme. Yeah. Kind of. Some of his 70s stu- Canadian stuff is, is even further, but we're not, probably not going to ever cover any of that on the podcast. But yeah. How did you feel about the narrative sense of this movie i i'm good with it yeah okay yeah i it is um don't get, a, to, don't get too deep because we're going to talk about the whole the whole movie i feel like it sits a little bit closer to say a tromeo and juliet seeing as we mentioned it narrative sense wise okay I, I would disagree with you but yeah okay just because we'll get to it we'll, we'll get, get to, to it, it. there's yeah. twists yeah between the Fly and this movie, he made Dead Ringers, Naked Lunch, M. Butterfly, 
and Crash. Crash is also a fucking wild movie. And not the Crash that everyone not is the, thinking not about. Not the Crash that everyone thinks about. This version of Crash, we're, we're not going to do, so I'm going to spoil for you now. Yeah. We'll not spoil for you. I'm going to give you the premise of Crash because sure. we're not going to cover it on the pod. It's about people that get aroused by being in car crashes. That does not surprise me. Yes. And then they relieve themselves of that arousal within the wreck. Sometimes not always using traditional RFI. Interesting. Interesting. Wow. It is so fucked up. So Cronenbergy. Yeah. Super Cronenbergy. <laughs> now you know what that means. Yeah. So I tend to think about Cronenberg in eras. I think most people probably do. It's probably just not me. But this is kind of the end of his first era. Yeah. Right? This is the end of the body horror stuff. Okay. He doesn't make another body horror movie for 23 years. Yeah. He okay. moves into drama and crime and there's still violence and weirdness in his movies, but he doesn't make body horror again until Crimes of the Future last year, right. which also has a lot of kind of similarities in terms of f- even production design and feel to this to this movie. So there's a there's a direct line that you can draw kind of between Videodrome, Existence, and Crimes of the Future. Is it all visually linked? Visually, like the kind of um, the flesh stuff, like the like the the fact that the well, as we will talk about, the pods in the game are made of flesh. Yeah, there's a lot of like body weirdness and stuff. Like the kind of psychosexual kind of and the, feel. and definitely the psychosexual. Stuff. Okay, okay. Yeah, the yeah. idea of because that's what I've come to realize is more Cronenbergy than the visual representation yeah, of what, like, say, a Rick and Morty meme would. He say is. expresses sexuality through weird physicality, yeah, and through through that body horror, through that body horror stuff. Yeah, almost it's all funny of it has to do small things almost, that happen on screen. Almost all of it has to do with sex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of course. Yeah, it's it's which is yeah. Anyway. Script was inspired on kind of a base level by the fatwa issued against Salman Rushdie in 1988. Oh, right. Iran's I remember that. Ayatollah Khomeini. What was, the, what was the ins and outs of that again? So he wrote a novel called The Satanic Verses. Yeah, that's right. In which the prophet is a character. It's about the prophet's life. Yep. Okay. And of course, that inflamed Iran's Ayatollah Khomeini. They used the word fatwa in the movie. Okay. Yeah, very so it's very specific. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so that's, okay. that, that's interesting. The link. Starring Jennifer Jason Lee as oh. the demoness Allegra Geller. God, she's amazing. How good is she? So we saw her in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Yeah. This is a big leap in terms yeah. of her in terms of her career. Looking respectfully. <laughs> she's there's this sensuality about her that is Especially in this movie. Yeah. She's just incredible to watch. Yeah. And there's this kind of like craziness almost about her that she plays with. Yeah. That's never outright said in her performance, but there's this sensuality and craziness. It's like this duality to her acting in lots of things. I feel as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We covered her career when we saw her in fast times, Richmond high. So I'm not really going to cover those, but her next film is Chris Pines directing debut. Really? Yeah. Chris Pine directed a movie, which just premiered at the Toronto international film festival. Okay. It's called pool man. (laughs) I've heard, very good things about the movie. I've also heard very bad things about the movie. So okay. I suspect that I will enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. It's very funny because the two roles that you see Jennifer Jason Lee in these days are like motherly, completely devoid of that sensual and craziness characters and her in her prime right now. They're kind of the two spaces. Yeah, that I, I mean, see well, she's in. in Hateful Eight. She has like a big role in Hateful That's Eight. That's right. Oh my God. I forgot yeah. that was and her. And then she's in Twin Peaks The Return as yeah. well. Drink. Yeah. So um, where she has quite a quite a good role as well. Yeah. So Fuck her in Hateful Eight. I. That's a different person. That's wild. I have controversial feelings about that movie. I don't like it. I've actually never made it all the way through it. 
Uh, it puts me to sleep. And really? Yeah, it just I love the stage play of it all. Nope. Not a big fan of Tarantino's literary era, is, okay. as I would call it. Okay. Uh, Jude Law as Ted Pykel. Oh, so good. First I, of all, Pykel. Yeah. Pykel. It's great. Um, but also, like, he's such a baby. Yeah, he's really young. So yeah. I maintain that Jude Law is a character actor with the face of a leading man. Yeah. He started on stage as a kid in the UK and then worked his way through a lot of British television. If you go back and okay. watch British television from like late 80s, 90s, he pops up in like one episode of things. Yeah, in like sure. one episode of Inspector Morse. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. You know what I mean? Um, his first lead role was in Paul W.S. Anderson's Shopping Paul W. Sensen went on to direct the Mortal Kombat movie and Resident right. Evil. That's how I know that. Yeah. So. Resident Evil. That's how I know that name. Yes. Yeah. And um, Alien vs. Predator. Of course. Yeah. I've never seen Shopping, but I have heard that it is a very good movie. Okay. I first noticed him in Gattaca. Oh, uh, yeah. In 1997. God, so that's two years film. before this. And then also as Billy Hansen in a, in a Clint Eastwood movie called Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, no. which is based on a true crime novel set in Savannah, Georgia, that okay. I was obsessed with at the age 15. Okay. That's just who I am. I feel like I've seen him do that Southern accent. Yeah, he does. He does accents pretty well. I yeah. like his Canadian accent in this movie. Okay. Because he's doing a... He's doing, he's doing a fake Canadian accent as Pykel. Yeah. And then later, at the very end of the movie, he's using his real voice. I didn't even pick that yeah, up. Yeah. Fuck, I'm such a muppet. Yep. Uh, the same year as this movie, he was also in The Talented Mr. Ripley, which is a yeah. movie that is um, incredible. It's based on a Patricia High, um, Highsmith, Highgate novel. I think Highsmith oh, is it? novel. There's a series of them. Okay. Ripley is an ongoing, an ongoing character. John Malkovich played him once. It's, yeah, okay. a whole series. They're, they're all made by different production companies, so they're not actually sequels to each other. But right. Ripley is amazing. Ripley is incredible. Okay. Um, and that kind of covers what we would talk about, but he's still obviously, he's still obviously working. Other cast I'll talk about as they appear, including almost everybody from last night. Mm. Yeah. Our boys. Yeah. Trailers, no trailers. We watched this one streaming on Tubi in Australia. Yeah. Tubi was great. This is the first time I really used it. Have you never used Tubi? Never. Yeah. It's just ads. So few ads. It's ad supported. Yeah. There's an ad like every 20 minutes or so. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's usually only two. I've watched uh, free services where they put five ads in front of you. Yeah. And it's terrible. So that was how we, how we watched it. Uh, I don't know this type. Uh, I've got a child now. Yeah. <laughs> I need you to recap the premise of existence. I thought about this. Mm-hmm. It is David Cronenberg's version of Total Recall, except instead of Spies and Mars, it's virtual reality and game devs. That's interesting. That's a really interesting read. He was attached to Total Recall. Shut That's up. We, we talked about it on the fly. He would have done an amazing Total it would have been Recall. A very different, very different movie than the Paul Verhoeven movie. Yeah. I know. Yeah, that's true. And I do love that movie. We, oh, it's one of my favorites. We talked it's about the, this on the list. <laughs> yeah, we, we talked about it during the fly. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah, interesting take. Okay, yeah. Cool. The blockbuster guide to movies and videos from 1998. It's not in there because this movie came out in 1999. Oh, right. <laughs> but it is in the Halliwells. It is in the Halliwells uh, film and video guide from the year 2000. I'm interested on the take of this from the industry. Yeah. Was it? Oh, you didn't tell me if it was popular or not. We'll get to that. <laughs> Existence. A leading video game designer demonstrating her latest creation is threatened with death by a group who object to artificial realities. The problem here is the video game is one that you can imagine only Cronenberg wanting to play, and underneath the high-tech trimmings, which look like leftovers from his naked lunch, are themes on the relativity of truth which were handled much better by Parandello 70 years ago. But perhaps that is to take the movie more seriously than was intended. (laughs) I don't understand that reference, so... 
but Pirandello is that? I think that's a stage. I guess writer. So. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Oh. That's a real shame. I think that's a pretty poor reading of this. Jenna Maslin of the New York Times <laughs> returns. <gasps> Shut up! And in April of 1999, Shut she the fuck wrote. Up. Yeah. Fuck yeah. I know. It's the first time in forever. That started as a bit on like the second or third episode. And then we haven't had a Janet Maslin review in I she don't even like, know how long. She was like three in a row and then gone. Yeah, and she? then gone. Yeah. So she Damn. wrote. Yep. Most films that explore the possibilities of virtual reality have some aspirations to sleek science fiction. Not David Cronenberg's. His existence has the oozing, throbbing, ghoulish hallmarks of other Cronenberg fever dreams. And sometimes it even has enough coolly remote style to make them palatable. Detachment helps when a film's weapon of choice is called a gristle gun. Even more improperly, he took his story's inspiration from the plight of Salman Rushdie to the extent that the screenplay uses the word fatwa and Allegra finds herself on the run. After being pronounced both goddess and demoness in the opening sequence, and after having introduced her game to a group of players, Allegra goes into hiding with her prototype MetaFlesh game pod for company. This contains the essence of her new game. It's a fleshy lump with several nipples, and it's meant to be stroked by game players with masturbatory raptness. It comes with an umbilical cord. Allegra refers to it as <laughs> refers to it as my baby. The film's two main characters, who never mesh especially well, find themselves moving between reality and an increasingly grisly virtual world, long before the audience meets the two-headed salamander or learns that frog parts are being used to make game pods. The film is trying to meld Mr. Cronenberg's idea about an artist struggling with her creation with the stomach-churning kinks that define his brand of psychological horror. Design note. Though the film includes a few distinctly, throb- <laughs> distinctly throbbing fleshy props, it is more interestingly bare of clocks, watches, screens, telephones, and other familiar elements. If only the frog parts had been missing too. Exorcens is rated R and includes insinuating sexual possibilities and more than enough grotesque weirdness to account for this rating. <laughs> Sounds like she wasn't against it though. Sounds I don't like think she she's for it or against it. it. I think there's a... She sees the art in it though. Yeah. There is a feeling about this movie in 1999 that this is Cronenberg repeating himself. Really? Yeah. From from critics, from the the kind of vibe. I've even looking at um even looking today at people on letterbox reviews of people yeah. that I that I follow and, and trust opinions of, there is a feeling that this is lesser Cronenberg because it's using a lot of it's repeat he's repeating himself quite a bit. Now you've your experience with Cronenberg is is quite limited. Yeah. So I had a fucking great time. Yeah. I don't care if he's repeating himself. Either do I. Yeah. Mm. I think he's almost making his own genre. Yeah, essentially. Yeah, and I yeah. think that's that's a trope of his own genre. Box office. Yeah. The weekend that Exorcent opened in April of 1999, the number one movie at the US box office, The Matrix. Interesting. In its fourth week. These two movies came out very close to each other. That's an interesting thematic I'm ta- crossover. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in a sec. Second was Life, the um, Martin Lawrence Oh, yeah, I remember that. Maybe, yeah, in its second week. We've talked about it before on the podcast. Third was Drew Barrymore's Never Been Kissed. Wow, yep, I yep. remember that. I dig that movie. Kira and I watched that as our what Friday year? night movie, 1999. Oh, my God, yeah, wow, yeah. this is my pocket. Yeah, Kira and I watched that movie as our Friday night movie like two or three weeks ago because <laughs> she hadn't seen it. Is it problematic? Yeah, yeah. But, but all okay. movies from that era are. Yeah, true. Okay, it's a good time. Okay. Four was Pushing Tin. 
John Cusack, Billy Bob Thornton, no. Angelina Jolie. Pushing 10, no. It's about F traffic controllers. Good. Good movie. I haven't seen it in 20-something years, but I enjoyed it when it came out. Five was Analyze This. Oh, wow, yeah. I yep. remember that. The De Niro, uh, is it Billy Crystal in that movie? Uh, maybe, yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't De Niro kind of overshadows that. I don't think I've ever seen that movie. Exocent opened in 15th. That's not surprising, to be honest. Yeah, behind... Life is Beautiful and Shakespeare in Love, which both had mm. been out for over 20 weeks. That sucks, man. That was as high as it would go. The, uh, One yeah. of the reasons I mentioned Life is Beautiful and Shakespeare in Love is because they are both Miramax movies who, through their genre arm, Dimension Films, also released Existence. Oh, right. So it didn't okay. even beat two movies released by the same studio yeah. that had been out for 20 weeks. It's, it's a shame because this movie gave me a nostalgia for a time when movies were a little bit... More interesting? Yeah. And <laughs> bolder? Yeah. And, like, this gave me a feeling of, oh, I can walk down the shop, hire a random sci-fi movie, and be completely surprised by what I get. Yeah. So it wasn't released with a lot of marketing support. Right. And as a result, the movie was a flop. It only made... $2.9 million in the US off a budget of $15 million, which is 31 Canada bucks or whatever it yeah. is that they use. <laughs> Canada bucks. It was, well, I don't know. Yeah. Canada bucks? Yeah. Sure. Makes sense. It's just a, you know, like a- Loonies? It's just a picture of poutine. <laughs> and a hockey player. I'm sure there's a hockey player I would on the other spend side. that money. Yeah. Hi, Canada. <laughs> it was well reviewed. It played well at festivals, but it didn't find an audience. Couldn't get people in. Until- Yeah. Until- like home video. Yeah. yeah. So my backstory is that by the time this movie comes out, I know who David Cronenberg is and yeah. I am. How far into his career is he now? He's been making movies since the, since the mid seventies. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm ready for this movie. Like yeah. I know that this movie is coming. Yeah. I'm the exact right age for this movie. I, soon as, I saw it as soon as it was released in home video in Australia. 1999 is the year of the head fuck movie. Yeah. Okay. And I was there for it. Yeah. Same. Everyone's waiting for Y2K. <laughs> Okay. It's the millennium. I'm almost an adult. I'm not quite an adult, but I'm almost an adult. Yeah. And everybody is questioning the nature of reality. I love that. This is the same year as The Matrix. Yeah. The 13th Floor. Donnie Darko. No, Donnie Darko is 2001. Damn. Fight Club. Yeah, right. Being John Malkovich. Oh, what a film. And in... 1998, Dark City, which yes. I count as being in the same genre uh, as yeah, these. proto head fuck movie. And Alex Proyas was ahead of the curve because he got that movie out a year before everybody else did. Yeah. So in 1999, that's the type of kind of science fiction. Yeah. Stuff. And those are all, almost all successful, successful movies. And the, you can almost see the influence from those kinds of movies in the early 2000 sci-fi movies that had a little bit more of a like an alien aesthetic because that became a little bit more popular in the 2000s, that kind of more organic aesthetic. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's the type of movies that surrounded Exorcens, which is maybe one of the reasons it gets lost in the shuffle. Yeah. It also opens like right after The Matrix. It's smaller than it some of those It is so much others. smaller. Yeah. It's so much more an ideas-based movie as opposed to a spectacle movie. Not yeah. that all of those movies are spectacle movies, being what John Malkovich is an ideas movie. I can almost say that John, being John Malkovich – and The Matrix are two movies that jump out of me as being like movies that have aged way better and almost feel like a generation before their time, where this feels of its time. Hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. So sources this week, 
I was going to watch a bunch of making ofs and then I got distracted, so I didn't. <laughs> Son. But I do know a lot about, <laughs> about this movie to begin with. What I did do was read the fourth draft of the screenplay from Amazing. October of 1996. Yeah. It's structurally the same movie, but some of the text is wild, is wildly different. Okay. The final movie feels very simplified. There's a lot more kind of, not even explanation, just more information mm. in the in the screenplay. And I will point out stuff as we talk about it. Usually when I'm writing my notes, I watch the movie and uh, read the script at the same time. So, okay. I, so that I can compare and contrast, right? And also so I can copy and paste, but I also then I can track how different things are. So yeah. t- usually what I do is I read a scene and then I watch a scene and then I read a scene and I watch a scene okay. and I write my notes on it as I go. A little bit of inside baseball there. This week as I was reading, I had about 20 minutes to go in the movie and then the script took a couple of like, not turns, but it had some chunks in it that are just not in the movie at all. Interesting. Right? How much of this was shot, right? Like what was what was actually shot and what was cut out of it? Yeah. Because this movie is technically a Miramax movie, as I said, which means that the Weinsteins were involved. What does that mean? Well, I know Harvey, who they are, but- Well, they're notorious for- cutting down other filmmakers, uh, movie, buying course. a filmmaker's movie okay. and then cutting it down because they think they know better yeah. in terms of what their audience wants. Sure. Harvey Weinstein, you know, fuck that dude. Yeah. His nickname was, was Harvey Scissorhands. Ugh. They started mostly buying foreign movies and then they would buy the rights for a foreign movie, re-edit them and then release them in the United States. Mm. And then eventually they got, had some success. I mean, Shakespeare in Love won Best Picture this year. Yeah, right. So I Yahoo'd, Exorcist's longer <laughs> yeah. version and on Reddit- found a fan edit fuck yeah that used a VHS work print of the movie to put 20 minutes 23 minutes back into the movie wow now i'm super du- i would watch that i'm super dubious of fan edits um, because you know make your own shit but i wanted to see what was cut yeah so i watched the this version yeah and I'm going to talk about, as we go through, oh, what awesome. was cut, what was shot. This movie blew through it. It could have another 25 minutes in it. Yes, it could. It was, okay, yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. I'm excited. So if you want to watch Exorcens, in most parts of the world, it's streaming and available for rental in all the usual places. But in Australia, it is only on Tubi. Yeah. <laughs> and again, not bad. No yeah, ad, not a bad experience. Like, meh, not yeah, bad. Not, not an ad. Let's talk our way through Exorcens. Hells yeah. Capital X, capital Z. <laughs> I have to be clear. So we open with a pretty long credit sequence. The credit sequence is kind of interesting because it's- It was indulgent. Well, no, that's what credit sequences were back in 1999. Yeah, true. Right? But it's almost like cave painting-y. Yeah. It has this cave painting vibe. It doesn't really suit the rest of the movie. It's very strange, but we do get to hear Howard Shaw's score. He worked with Cronenberg all the way through his career. We've talked about he scored almost every single Cronenberg movie. Um, And I do like his score in this movie as well. I think also, as with The Fly, he makes something that is intimate feel bigger than it is through through his use of like a full orchestra. That's true, man. Yeah, because this is a tiny movie. This is a very intimate film. such a small movie. Yeah, you could have made this in three rooms. (laughs) Essentially. Yeah. Yeah. We start in a deconsecrated church (laughs) with Christopher Eccleston explaining... 
Existence. It's fucking Doctor Who, man. Existence. Written like this. One word. Small e, capital X, capital Z. Existence. It's new. It's from Antenna Research. And it's here. Yeah, so he was Doctor Who. Yeah. Cool that that's where you know him from. I, that's the first place I met him. Oh, really? Yeah. So he'd been around for a, for a long time. I know him from Denny Boyle's first movie, Shallow Grave. Yeah, no, nah, no. Nah. I always think is a comedy, but it's not a comedy. It's <laughs> yeah. about some roommates that they kill, they kill somebody and then they have to hide the body. And he would be he's good one of the like He's that. one of the roommates. He's yeah. quite good at it. He's so intense. Yeah. He's in... Gone in 60 seconds. He's the bad guy in Gone That's in 60 seconds. That's right. That's this the before, first place. before Doctor Who. That's the first place I know him from. The Others? Nope. You don't know The Others? No. Fantastic. It's on the list. <laughs> okay. Oh, no. It can't be on the list. It's from the 2000s. Fuck. Okay. The Others is the greatest ghost movie ever made. Okay. With Nicole Kidman. Okay. It is inc- it's incredible. Okay. We will talk about it because we're going to talk about the person that directed it at some point. 24-hour party people about the Manchester no. scene. It's a great, it's a great movie. Twenty eight days later. Oh yeah, yeah. Forgot he was in that. And he's also in the criminally underseen HBO TV show The Leftovers, which no. I've been trying to get people to watch for The Leftovers. Yes. All it right. Amazing. It is about the people left behind after the rapture. Oh, I love that. But as a serious piece of drama. Oh, okay. As a metaphor for grief. Okay. The first season, I warn you, the first season is so dark that the show will make you fucking miserable, but it is emotionally worth it. I'm going to have to watch clips of it first. I have to no. do that. When something's traumatizing, I d- it's so fucking heavy. And the, I understand how, like, if you watch like the first two or three episodes, you'd be like, fuck, this show just makes me feel like shit. I don't yeah. want to watch the show. What I'm telling you is that it's worth it. Is that it, it's not There's done. There's a catharsis. It's not just done to make you feel bad. It is done to put you in a state that you understand where the characters go to. Sure. So it is 100% worth it. And then the, it's, it's based right. on a novel. The first season uses the entire novel. The original author is involved in the show as one oh, of the writers. Great. So, and the third season, most of it is set in Australia. Okay, it was shot here, shot in Melbourne. All right, yeah, and it sounds fucking amazing. It is incredible. It is an amazing piece. The piece leftovers, of television. yeah, got and it. people just haven't seen it. It's one. I've of never heard of it. Yeah, yeah. It lasted three seasons. It was on HBO almost ten years ago. Okay, what <laughs> ski boot. <laughs> we'll get to the ski boot. That's my next note. We will get to the ski boot. So we're at a focus group seminar for a new game, and we find out that the world's greatest game designer is there to lead them through it. The game pod goddess herself, Allegra Geller. Oh, yeah. The crowd is way too enthusiastic. I mean- On purpose. Yeah. I mean, I would be if it was Jordan for Jason Lee as well. Yeah. I love that <laughs> she's at the back of the room just making herself a cup of tea. Yeah. And the, did you notice the, the teacups and saucers? No. They're all like super fancy. They're like Victorian era gilded no, cups and saucers. That. It's just such a strange, tiny detail. It's not like just a white cup and a white saucer. Every cup is like beautifully gilded. I love that. Like gold trim and shit. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. With like prints and things. Yeah. Yes. Her handbag is a ski boot. Yeah. In the script, <laughs> that is the container the pods come in. Yeah, right. And it's referred to as looking like a ski boot, but it is just a it ski, is an actual ski, ski boot. boot. Yeah. yeah. So in the in the script, there's like dozens of them because that's what they they unpack the pods out of them. Sure. But in the movie, they just did, ended up doing one. It would be it would be fast. It's such cool. a choice. Yeah. By having only one of them, it makes it so unique to her personality. Yeah. That it makes it actually more interesting. It does. 
It also plays a little bit in with a scene later in the film, but it also sets this kind of weird aesthetic for, I don't know, how we're meant to treat them a little bit, where mm-hmm. it's like it's almost... There's a homemade quality to this, to like the whole game experience almost. Yeah. At the back of the room is a security guy with a wand, Ted Pikel. Yeah. Allegra gets up on stage and she seems a little, a little introverted and she says the world of games is in a kind of a trance. People are programmed to accept so little, but the possibilities are so great. Existence is not just a game. It's an entirely new game system. And uh, it involves a whole lot of new toys, which you're going to be the first to try out. In the script, Eccleston, who has a name, he doesn't have a name in the movie, but he's named Levi, is much more of an aggressive kind of business marketing guy. Yeah, okay. And he goes on about the pods being revolutionary meta flesh from antenna capital m capital f <laughs> and the umbi cords umbi cords are brand new as brand new as well I so it's that. new tech in the script it's new technology and same in the work print as yeah. well later in the script there's and also in the film he talks to pikel but what was cut is him explaining she doesn't enjoy all the adulation she hates having to pour in with her fans it's too intimate why does she do it? We make her do it. By we, you mean the game company Antenna Research? That's what I mean. Why? Well, for example, we spent a fortune developing existence, but we all know it's a risky project. She might have to change things. This is the only way we can convince her that there might be a problem. Hmm. Yeah. I've heard that she's very sensitive. What's so funny is... This- is that's in her performance? It, yeah, it's there, right? That is but there. This, but this adds some text to the sub to the subtext. I must say, like that's an incredible dialogue bit. Again, not needed, so it's okay that it okay. was cut. It, it does add so, something though. in the script, but not shot. Is that before they start plugging in all the pods and things? Is everybody hums a tune together? Okay. Yeah, that is the new Antenna Corporate theme song, right? So it's super culty. Super indoctrination-y. Yeah. As they're picking the first 12 players, a guy, Noah Dichter, arrives late. Pikel scans him. He's like, is this for weapons? But he's like, it's mostly for recording recording yeah. devices. I like the little holographic invitation, Yeah, which is which is kind of fun. Dichter bought his, brought his own game pod, but he won't need it tonight. Everything is provided. Yeah. yeah. Sus. Bad security guard, Pikel. Well, as we'll find out, he is not, in fact, a security guard. No. On stage, everyone's plugged in. In the script, we see the bioport for the first time here. Cronenberg wisely saves it for later in the in the movie, which I, yeah, think is, right. which I think is kind of fun. Allegra's plugged into everybody and then into her pod. They're kind of like um, daisy chained into each other. She warns them that it's going to be a wild ride and not to panic. She flicks a nipple on her game pod. <laughs> yeah, it's so... That is how it is described in the script. It is described as a nipple. It doesn't look like a nipple. It, it like, just reacts like a nipple. But like you don't even think of it as a nipple. But then Jennifer Jason Lee does this motion. She flicks it. And the way she flicks it, you can just tell that like- It's erotic. It's it's erotic. There is a sexuality to the way that this game console is used. But there's also this weird intuitiveness that Cronenberg has of 
doing something that is not what it is, but it gets the message to your brain perfectly. Yeah, it's a metaphor. It's incredible what yeah. is what it is. Yeah. The game pods pulse and start to download the game into the others, which also start to pulse mm. from the script. Dicta tears open his obsolete game pod to reveal a bizarre weapon, a pistol made of bone and gristle, almost like a half-decayed body of a small mammal, whose snout is the barrel, whose rigid hind legs is the trigger. Dicta takes his weapon out of the case, shakes off a few gelatinous strips of game pod flesh, and steps up to the dice. Death to the demoness, Allegra Geller! No! Death to our town research! This was mad. She's shot and everybody plugged into her reacts like they've been shot. That's right. So they're feeling what she feels. Eccleston gets it right in the chest. Pikel kind of got blocked behind Eccleston. So he looks on in shock, kind of not really doing anything until a dying Levy tells him to get Allegra out of there. She isn't safe. Yeah. We have enemies in our own house. He grabs the flesh gun and Allegra. He puts his... He puts his one down for the the one up of the gun. It was great. Yeah. Very video gamey. Cut out is like a, just a really quick sequence where he actually rips the bioport out of her and then she reacts in pain and everybody else that it was plugged into her kind of just slumps over. Like, okay. I don't think they're meant to be dead, but I no. think they're obviously meant to be like- In shock kind of. Yeah, like turned off. On the road, on the run, the rear projection- <laughs> Is so fake. I didn't even notice. It is so bad. It is something that I noticed on the VHS in 1999. Really? It is horrendous. I like to believe it's a deliberate choice. Okay. Because there's- it gives a video gamey quality. It gives a fake quality to That's it. That's genius. And also by 1999, by 1999, we're not doing green screen cast off. We are still doing reprojection. Yeah. But the way that it's shot- is so obvious that it's fake. It's so funny watching a film from this era, how much my mind smooths over those things. So we find out that uh, country people are game game people. Everyone is game people. It's changing everyone's lives. Yeah. So developers, project coordinators, and factories, everybody's moving into the country. Hell yeah. In the script, there's an explanation for why. Okay. Oh, cities full of bad microwaves, bad thermals, bad electro optics. You can't shield from it anymore. You can't get true readings. No, the whole industry moved out of the city years ago. Unnecessary. Totally but, unnecessary. But interest, but interesting. Yeah. It gives an, it gives a, a feel of the world. I like the idea that that in this world and the world that we we never see a city in in Exorcist. We only yeah. ever in the country, right? The idea that we don't need cities anymore because we because everybody can move a to the country connection and have a connection through gaming together. Yeah, yeah. Now they're learning. What I loved was the idea, the first step into the game world that we kind of get mm -hmm. was a very interesting take. And I was like, oh, so it's just like whatever can happen in here. Like yeah. it was very cool. They need a place to hide out. Puckle's pink phone, which it's just something that comes and goes and we never see again. Yeah. It's a fleshy phone, yeah. fleshy phone. Uh, rings. Allegra throws it away so that they can't be tracked. We find out that Parkle is a is a marketing trainee. Such a weird thing to just like, this is a part of our world. Out of the window, never going to be used Never going to mention it again. <laughs> in the script, he actually talks to uh, uh, like a marketing executive. I don't think that was ever shot because it wasn't in the work print. Yeah. He finds out that there is here that there is a $5 million bounty on uh, Allegra's yeah. head by anti-existentialists. Ah. Existentialists. Yeah. <laughs> right? Which is something that is entirely cut 
that idea is entirely cut from the movie, which feels yeah. like that word is cut from the movie. Yeah. There are t- tiny trims later yeah. that you see in the work print where they cut that word out. And that to me is a clue to a that is studio a thinking something is too complex an idea for people to understand and cutting it and cutting it out. Which is funny. I think you need a level of complexity for this film or it yeah. gets trashed. What, and I should say right now, like we're going to talk a lot about what was cut out of the movie. I still think that the movie functions perfectly, perfectly fine. And I think it functions without without most of this stuff because I love Cronenberg so much. Mm. I think there's a lot of interesting ideas in the things that were cut. Yeah. So for me, that's what's kind of interesting about comparing and contrasting. I think one of the things that works so well for this movie is how fast it moves yeah and but i also do hear you when i'm like i wish i knew what the longer cut was like because it was that good i would watch it yeah well i can sort you out for that yeah allegra tells him they need to pull over so they can have an intimate moment together yeah such <laughs> i a love her way she's such a flirt things. she's she's amazing by the side of the road Pike works himself up to use a a knife a swiss army knife to cut the bullet out of her mm. after he cuts it out Somebody bite you? What? What I just dug out of you. It's a tooth. Allegra wants to look at the gun, and the cartridge is a jawbone. <sighs> Let me see that weirdo pistol. And she is fascinated by it. I know, she loves it. In the script, she says she's going to put it in her next game. The bullets are human teeth. This one's got a cavity. That thing was designed to get past any kind of metal or synthetics detector. It's all flesh and bone. I suppose the smaller caliber pistols would have to fire baby teeth. The tooth fairy could go into the arms business. It's weird how she has this like maudlin is am i using maudlin correctly like this fascination with this yeah yeah yeah, it's so good and it's just a layer of her character never expressly brought up it also makes sense with the end of the movie yes her behavior through the whole film you can see it in a completely different light yeah there's a specific moment i'm going to talk about that is like the biggest clue that when you watch the movie the second time, you're like, holy fuck, it's right there. Okay. Right? Okay. Yeah, yeah, mad. They get a room at a, at a motel. The motel is just called Motel, also a clue. Yes, should have been. Pikel is hitting some fries from Perky Pats. That is the one of the worst graphically designed fake hamburger <laughs> joints that I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. I'm a big fan of Didn't take I'm notice. a big fan of uh, of fake fast food outfits in, in movies, yeah. right? And it is that is that looks like it's drawn with crayon. It is terrible. <laughs> I reckon the best is still Fifth Element Mac- McDonald's. Uh, yeah, well, but that's real though, right? But like, it's like, what if McDonald's lived in that yeah. in that genre? And they would take their marketing. If you're going to do like real ones, the best one is the dehydrated pizza in Back to the Future Part Two. I don't remember. They it. put it's a tiny pizza, and they put it into the hydrator, and then it becomes out as a full size pizza. That would be mad. I know, right? <laughs> Parker's eating some fries while Electra strokes her pod in bed. Oh, I love. She this. wakes up. She was wandering through existence. She likes it in there, but you're a tourist on your own. He wants to contact Antenna and she starts lifting his shirt at the back looking for his bioport. Yeah. But he doesn't have one. He don't have one. 
Oh, don't tell me you've never been fitted. I can't believe it. No, I was never fitted with a bioport. What do you care? Well, you want to get into the biz and you've never played one of my games? You've never played any game. He has a phobia about his body being penetrated surgically. I mean, wow. Yeah. I mean, we kind of all have that fear, but also like, yeah, just puts it out there mm-hmm. and a massive clue also. Allegra explains, they just pop your spine with a little hydro gun. They shoot they the pull plug right into it. They just penetrate your spine, yeah. It's like having your ears pierced at the mall. <laughs> In the work print, there's extra dialogue. There's an intimacy involved in playing existence that is beyond expression. It has to be experienced. And frankly, the two-player version is the most exquisitely intense. Wouldn't you like to play with me? She wants to play because her baby, her pod, took a massive hit in the church. Yeah. She needs to check that everything is okay within the game. When those umbi cords got ripped out of her. Ripped out of her. Just as the game architecture was being downloaded from her to all those slave pods. That's a very vulnerable time for her. She could be crying out for help right here, right now. The only way I can tell if the game's not been contaminated. The pod is not about to be crippled for life because of my negligence. to play existent with somebody friendly. Are you friendly? Or are you not? Sure. And then his line is, Let me see. To get an illegal, unregistered bioport installed at about midnight, we just drive up to your local country gas station, right? <laughs> Cut to country gas station. <laughs> they do again. Massive clue that they are in a ga- they're in a game. Very true. Ah, oh, fuck! It is right there, it all is, the way no, no, through. That's not even it. That's it's not all even, the way through, though. The attendant is William fucking Defoe. Fucking Willem as Gas. Oh my god, he's the best. I love that his name is Gas. <laughs> also a clue. <laughs> he's the best. We saw he him in, we saw him in Streets of Fire. Yeah. We'll see him many many more times. Speaking he of, is of one an of amazing my character actor. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. How did he do such a small role? Well, I have a recollection of a recollection of an interview with him yeah. that I, where he was just like, "Well, it's Cronenberg. I just wanted to work with Cronenberg." Of course, he like, he'd get Cronenberg. Just go and do it. Allegra asks Gas about bioports, and he plays dumb for a minute. A bioport. Now, that's a sort of hole in your spine, isn't it? Lots of assholes around here, but that's generally it. I don't know why you'd be talking to me about that lady. He realizes who she is. And he falls to his knees, kissing her feet, yeah. worshipping her. Allegra Geller, you changed my life. Allegra Geller, you changed my life. Inside. What was your life like before? Before? Before it was changed by Allegra Geller. I operated a gas station. 
operate at a gas station. <laughs> but you, you still, still operate at a gas, gas station, station don't, don't you? Only on the most pathetic level of reality. <laughs> so good. Uh, so at the so end of the, fucking great. At the end of the movie, they do their little focus group. Yeah. There was an additional, I'm not, additional piece of dialogue where, where out of the game is disappointed because in real life he is a gas station attendant. No, Paul Willem. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Gas asked Pikel if he ever if he ever played Art God. One word, capital A, capital G. Thou the player Art God. It's so God the mechanic. Capitalization is so important. It's so funny. <laughs> it makes me laugh every single time. Yeah, the more it comes up, it's great. Because it's so it's it's part of the idea of like the corporate branding of yes, everything, right? Yes, so it's about you so buying true. into the branding. It's the same thing as like the theme song that was that they hummed that was cut out. Yeah. Like it is an indoctrination. Like the idea, as you will find out, the idea of you being like loyal and fanatic to yeah. either Antenna or the other ones or to the realist or the anti-existentialist becomes in. very, it becomes very like, Churches, it's religion. Yeah. And and Cronenberg is taking uh, inspiration from a religion wanting to, um, another yeah. man dead because of something he said about that religion. Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah. Corporate, corporate fanaticism is not that much different than True. a church. The way that people are loyal 100% to brands and IP yeah. these days. Like, oh, I'm Xbox, I'm PlayStation. Like, or just fucking Disney people. Yeah, yeah, true. Or Star Wars people or Marvel people. Yeah. You know, they watch all of it because yeah. they, like, they don't have any... It's it's become it doesn't it's their, fanaticism. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's Zack Snyderism. Yes, sure. Pikel's worried about infection because <laughs> they're in the back room. It's fucking it's a filthy. fucking good point. Gas tells him he could install this in a slaughterhouse and he'd be fine. <laughs> then why the clean overalls? It's a mental thing. Helps me focus. The one thing you don't want to do is miss with the stud finder. Well, it's in this movie for like not even uh, five no. minutes and it's so Makes much such fun. an impact. Outside, Allegra admiring the textures of the world, mm. examining and touching things, kicking dirt, throwing rocks. She has this creepiness for her that's wait, just wait, wait. so perfect. That's the obvious clue. That she's looking at things. She's in the game. Yeah. She's checking. She thinks she's alone in the game. So she's checking out how uh, textured the, the world is. And is this where she sees the lizard? Yeah, so she encounters This is where I started to clue on. She encounters a two-headed amphibian creature. This is a great mix of visual effects when it's moving and then a puppet when she's interacting with it. Yeah. Inside, gas marks Pikel's spine with a with a little hydro thingy that yeah. you think is what is going to put the bio yeah, yeah, in. Yeah. And then he pulls out a massive hydraulic insertion gun to install the port. Yeah. Gas has never crippled anyone. <laughs> <laughs> He's done three of these. Well, this will be his third. Yeah. Pikel freaks out. Allegra has to talk him down. I love, fucking love. She steps on a stack of tires to get to his eye level. Yeah. Because Jennifer Jason Lee is tiny. five foot three. She's so tiny. Or, I even remember or 1. thinking. 1.6 meters for the metric kids. I remember even thinking when she, when there was the close up of her stepping on the tile, I was like, that's not going to be enough. <laughs> she's, <laughs> she's so small. But I love the dynamic that like, so there's this faint line of intimacy in between their characters, even in this level where at the moment their only connection is really security guard. Yeah, and, yeah exactly. And Designer. This is it, you see. This is the cage of your own making, which keeps you trapped and pacing about in the smallest possible space forever. 
Break out of your cage, Paco. Break out now. Cut to the boom of the bioport slamming into his spine. <laughs> paralyzed from the waist down he freaks out Castle's like oh no it gives you an instant epidural I didn't yeah. mention it before it's just like pregnancy <laughs> it'll wear off that's why it didn't hurt and while she, while he's paralyzed well Gas Gas goes I'm gonna go wash up and then Allegra instantly wants to pour into him yeah. while he's paralyzed Allegra is such a dirty girl she goes to <laughs> she goes to a drawer and pulls out XE60 I don't get it. So instead of WD-40, it's XE-60. I didn't even fucking notice. I noticed. You know what I noticed? I was like, why is it 60? <laughs> Dickhead. Because the labeling is all the same. It's exactly the same. It's XE-60. <laughs> My brain did not even pick that up. I knew you wouldn't. Oh, fuck. It's so funny. I remember thinking about it, but not the letters. Yep. I swear I saw WD. No, you didn't. I, I swear I saw WD. It's XE60. That's wild. New ports are sometimes a bit tight, Brody. Oh, fuck. For this new butthole in his back. <laughs> we get our first look at a bioport. It's kind of hot. It's a butthole. <laughs> it is a little. It's a butthole. It's, yeah. Okay, sure. <laughs> I don't think of it like that, but yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. It's most like. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I guess so. I love her opening her mouth to show him why it doesn't get infected. He's like, it's a hole that goes straight into your body. And oh, she yeah. opens her mouth and sticks her tongue out. Yeah, that's it's right. Like, Don't be ridiculous. We have plenty of those. We have lots of those. <laughs> he asks if she can call him Ted instead of Pykel before he ports into her. Oh, it's so good. The repartee over all this sexual- her response, maybe afterwards. Yeah, that's great. She plugs him in, flicks her nipple. Oh, but the yeah. but the pod surges and burns out. She's incensed and blames him for neural surging. He's like, I, I don't even know how I would yeah. surge. I didn't feel a What's surge. What's a neural surge? Don't blame me. What did I do? Well, so we find out that in the pod is the only original copy of Existence. Always have a backup. What Dumb. the fuck are you doing? <laughs> it was gas. He has a shotgun. Yeah. He put a bad bioport into Pykel. He wants the bounty on her. Five million for her dead body and a bonus for killing the game. Allegra tries to talk her kind of way out of it. Can you kill me, Gas? Can you kill a person? Can you do that? Hide my body. Contact the crazies. Trust them to pay up. Hand over my now decaying fucking grotesque corpse. Really expect them to hand over five mil cash. Hey, don't you ever go to the fucking movies? Allegra's the best character. Yeah. She messes the physicality of being a grotesque corpse. Yeah. Which is such a Cronenberg-y way to think about. Well, anti-Cronenberg-y way almost, where it's like it's the usual way you would think about the corpse, but hearing it in this is like mm. pointing it out and it's like, oh, yeah, there is some gross shit about that. Puckle saves the day. He pops open Gas's neck with the insertion gun. Oh, yeah. The bioport right through that neck. <laughs> It's a good time. Oh, fuck. They end up back in the car um, driving through the night and they need help. So in the morning, they pull into a ski resort where there is no snow. Yeah, I was super confused by this, but I was like, does the ski boot have something to do with this? No, it's just, I don't know what it is. Yeah. Maybe Cronenberg's a big fan of skiing. I feel like this is like what's, there's a subtext underneath here, which is where like 
this is where she grew up learning how to like make this and like maybe yeah and like the ski boot is a homage to like where she came up okay sure I think that's <laughs> that's headcanon but completely that's not in the movie the amphibian hits a ride with them yes what happens if somebody comes up here to ski no one actually physically skis anymore Parkle you know that I mean who would uh you he just went to the fucking snow <laughs> but if I could do it for real in a game you know what I mean where okay. I felt like I was doing it uh-huh Inside the office. No, no, no. Wait. The line about the amphibian is the best line where they talk about it and he's like, oh, look at this. Look at this weird amphibian. And then she's like, sign of the times. Yeah. I love that. Because like us as the audience are looking at this amphibian creature thinking we're in reality Mm -hmm. and we're like, oh, so this is some weird future. This is somewhere that's a little bit further in the future. And they've got these weird animals Mm -hmm. and he's looking at it as like, Oh God, science is going too far kind of thing. Like he's meant to be us in that moment, Mm -hmm. like going like, Oh, okay. There's this world is a little bit weird and there's things that are happening that aren't great. Mm -hmm. And she's just like sign of the times. Like it's great for a character beat for her, but it's also another little sprinkling of a clue of like what's going on. How is it a clue? Because it's it's foreign. It's completely devoid okay. of the real world. And mm. you should, us as the audience, should look at that and go, oh, that's that's not in the real world. But because there's a layer there mm. that we don't yeah, see yet, oh, okay, we're like, oh. I don't think of that as being a clue. I think that as being part of the texture of the picture of the world building. Because I we agree, don't know yeah. at this moment. Because we've been saying clues like it's a mystery that you need to solve, but it's actually not a there's mystery. No there's mystery there's actually to solve no mystery to solve. Yeah. Right. So that's why that's why I kind of It's it's a layer for a rewatch. It's a layer for rewatching. Yeah, yeah it's definitely yeah. a layer for rewatching. Yeah. Yeah. So inside the office is a workshop where Kiri Vinegar uh, is working on pods and we see that they're all fleshy. It's fucking Ian Holm. Yeah, I know. What an amazing man. Ian Holm is a legend. Uh, I'll always associate him as uh, Ash from Alien. He was always yeah. my, first, my first one. But um, Chariots of Fire, Robin and Marion, old man uh, Robin Hood movie with uh, Sean Connery. Okay. Time Bandits. Oh, yeah. Uh, yep. Brazil. Terry Gilliam's no. Brazil, which is also, he also directed. Uh, That's a famous one, right? Yeah, it's good to know. I don't think I've seen Great. that. Yeah. yeah. Don't worry, it's on the list. Okay. Um, the Fifth Element. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, from Hell, which is a movie that I quite enjoy. Oh, I feel there. like I've seen that. Uh, Johnny Depp is chasing Jack the Ripper. Yep. Yeah. Based I on feel the like Alan Moore comic book. Yeah. Okay. Comic book is, is incredible. Um, and of course, Lord of the Rings. He's Bilbo yeah. Baggins. Motherfucking Bilbo Baggins. Yeah. Fuck, I never think of them as the same. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. It's Ian Holm. Yeah. He was around for such a long time. Long time. <laughs> yeah. He only just passed away like two years ago. Is he dead? No. Yeah. That's ter- terrible. Yeah, Parkinson's. He's heard a rumor about a fatwa against her. So he yeah. used the actual word there. Yeah. Kerry wants to contact Antenna. He works for Antenna, but she still thinks it's too, too dangerous. And he's going to work on her pod to try to save the pod yeah. and get the game out of it. In the script, the way that the operation is described is kind of interesting. In the strange atmosphere of the workshop chalet, Vinegar is taking Geller's pod apart. It's more like surgery of an alien life form than computer electronics. The room feels like a weird combination of high-tech operating room and a woodworking class. It's, it's, it is very strange. Like, because it is in a ski shop, not just the aesthetic, but even the vibe inside feels like a ski shop. Like I was literally in a ski shop just recently where it's like just guys getting about their business and they all have things to do. Mm-hmm. And then there's these fucking animals being like operated on. Well, Punkle says it looks like an animal in there. And then the response is it is an animal grown from amphibian eggs stuffed with synthetic DNA. Hectic. 
Where do the batteries go? I love that. Allegra explains. Ports into you. You're the power source. Your body, your nervous system, your metabolism, your energy. You get tired, run down, it won't run properly. They're going to take out Puckle's bad port and put in a new one. I love the chair <laughs> with the hole. Oh, for the- yeah. See, that looks like a professional setup. In a chalet room, she checks out his new port. Michael says it hurts. He's worried about infection. Allegra tells him, No, it's not infected. It's just excited. Wants action. But I really don't think that I want action. Me, I mean. The bearer of the excited bioport. She puts her fingers into her mouth and then sticks her finger into the yeah. port. And this is why Kira didn't want to be on this episode. Yeah. I can imagine why Kira didn't want to be. I can't say the word bioport to her without her being creeped the fuck out. <laughs> I look, I'm not going to yuck anyone's yum, but like that was overt. I was okay with it. Always do the yuck the yum. That's just, it's, it's, it's a thing. I know it's a thing. It sounds gross. <laughs> I know that's why I don't I like, like the it. way it sounds. That's why I like I prefer it. the bioport to you saying that. <laughs> uh, well, after someone fingers someone's back butt. <laughs> okay. Again, she tries to convince him that they need to play. Her pod has taken three major hits now. She has to play with somebody friendly to make sure the game is okay. And are you friendly? She, are you friendly? Yeah. She plugs him in and flicks the gaming nipple. The transition to the game is great. Right. Yes. So in the chalet, there is a spiral staircase and then Parkle looks up and then somebody is walking down it. And when we tilt down, we're in a video game store. Yeah. And the person walking down is a, cl- is a clerk. The clerk's going to come back later, but that is Callum Keith Rennie. Yeah. Craig, amazing. Craig from last night. Yeah. Parkle can't believe how real it is. He starts touching stuff to feel, feel it. Yeah. We've already seen her do that. Yeah. He asked Allegra what the goal of the game is. Did you notice what changed about Allegra in this scene? No. In the game? No. Okay. The obvious thing is her hair. Did you notice her hair throughout the movie? It didn't change color. No, her hair is different in each instance of of reality. Oh, fuck. No, I didn't. Okay. So that's kind of the the obvious one, right? That's the super obvious. I love this. So in... What we think is the real world, her hair is straight, but she has what I would call a crimp or a slight wave in one part of her hair. Yes, I did notice how her her hair was weird. But in Existence, her hair is completely wavy. Ah, fuck. At the very end of the movie, her hair is dead straight. There's no even tiny crimp. I love that. The other thing is her clothes. I didn't notice the the clothes either, but I did. I think my brain might have just assumed that that changed? It's so good. L- let me explain this to you, right? So in the real world, right? And it's not the real world, but yeah, don't worry about yeah, that yeah. for a second. Real, real world, inverted commas. In the real world, she's wearing pants and long sleeves. Yeah. Right? So she's wearing gray pants and, and long, gray blue pants and long and long sleeves. Sure. Long sleeve blouse. Yeah. When they go into Existence, she has a short pencil skirt and short sleeves on her blouse, but both outfits are made of the exact same fucking material. That's incredible. Tell you what's weird. It's a physical manifestation that she is more comfortable with who she is in the game. I was just about to say, I'll tell you what's weird. She's sexier in the game. Yes, because she's dressed more provocatively, but she's wearing the exact same color and materials. So you don't notice unless you're paying attention. 
David Cronenberg is a fucking genius. She also changes her physicality. She changes the way that she yes, stands she does. in the game. Yes, she does. Because she's more comfortable in the game than she is in the real world. When we get to the actual real world at the end of the at the end of the movie, she has completely straight hair and she is wearing no makeup whatsoever and she looks much more like a a woman that doesn't think about herself uh, about how she puts herself together. Yeah. So there is layers of her like confidence yeah. as a person that are tied to the real world, the the actual real world, what we think is the real world and and to the game. I can't believe that it is until you've mentioned it just now. Yep. That my brain has now unwoven that and yep. I can see it. She becomes less less um introverted. Oh, it's so clear. It's right there. Yep. She points out the uh, strange games in the store. Chinese yeah. restaurant. Will you make it out alive? <laughs> yeah. Which is great. In the script, we get more explanation of how the game works because Puckle's like, where did all this, like, where, where did all this stuff come from? Yeah. And she's like. It's basically a game store I used to hang out in when I was a kid. Are you serious? We're ported into a game pod together, remember? Existence has complete access to both our central nervous systems. Its game architecture will be based on our memories, our anxieties, our preoccupations. I love that. Which plays into the end of the movie. Massively. Because... It's the reason that when they are playing Transcendence yeah. and then they go into Existence that the game has a strong anti-gamer sentiment. Mm. And all that stuff is in the is in the work print. So Pykel asks what the goal of the game is, but you have to play the game to find out while you're playing the game. Yeah. Pykel then finds on a rack. Oh, I love how it's so... The point of the larger game, you have to figure out while you're playing the game within a game. Yes. It's so fucking So this is what I'm saying beautiful about like it not necessarily making like narrative sense. I think it I think it, <sighs> it does, it does now. right? It does but now. But it's confusing the it's confusing for an audience the first time through. The first and if you watch, only give yeah. this movie one shot, which is what most audiences probably do with this movie, yeah. they're like, oh, the story didn't make any sense. I wish I watched this with Ellie now. She would appreciate this film. Well, you can watch I'll I'll send you the work print. Okay. You can, wa- you can watch the work print. Okay. Yeah. Pykel finds a micropod from Cortical Systems. It's a tiny version of the, of the game it. pod that seemingly goes right into your port. I love it. I and love then, it. wait, and then we meet Darcy Nader. These are delicate. You got to be careful. Yes, I can imagine. Cortical Systematics is the latest and the hottest. Not just a new game, but a new system. Darcy Nader. The most NPC person to have ever existed. <laughs> the way he says, you need to be careful. Yes. He is so good. So good. Especially in contrast to his accent at the end of the game, which is completely different. I didn't end of the even movie. notice again. He has like this like New York world. Yeah, we had like a good time yes. playing the game. It's incredible. <laughs> They end up end up following him into a back room. Puckle's still learning about the game. He yeah. says something that's completely out of character. It's none of your business who sent us. We're here. That's all that matters. God. What happened? I... I didn't mean to say that. <laughs> it's your character who said it. 
It's kind of a schizophrenic feeling, isn't it? You'll get used to it. There are things that have to be said to advance the plot and establish the characters, and those things get said whether you want to say them or not. Does this feel like our D&D or what? This also feels like Baldur's Gate. Like, right. yes, there are some things that you just cannot just control. Like, Sorry, guys, you just gotta have to do this. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's just the way the game is. If this doesn't happen, there's no plot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dusty Nader goes into a, like, a trance-like loop while they're chatting. Yeah. They have to give him the right dialogue to continue, which is, again, such it's such a mod. Like, okay, so we were talking about, again, we talked about Baldur's Gate, but we were also talking yeah. about Starfield. Starfield's yeah. exactly the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so very... 2023 video game. Yeah, true. Yeah. So true. Yeah, I've lost a lot of time to Starfield in the past, <laughs> the past week. Same with the Baldur's Gate. I love how strange this performance is. I think it's fanta- fantastic. Oh, so good. Paykel plays along and Darcy gives them the story hooks that they need. Yeah. They need to insert the micropods to download, to download their cover identities. They have to check to see if they've got bioports in the game and they, and they do. Yeah. Nada leaves so that they can plug in. <laughs> I assume that Nader is our entry point into the game. Yeah, kind of disappointing. Nader? Yeah, he's not a very well-drawn character. His dialogue was just so-so. His accent. Didn't she make him? But no, she didn't. Yeah. In the script, it's explained that the game engine will get more daring once it warms up to them and provide a better game experience once it gets to know them. The chapstick. Yeah. She chapsticks she chapsticks Pykel's port. Yep. And then the micropod just gets sucked into him. Yeah. She is so fucking excited by it. Yeah. Do you want me to do you? Yeah. The way that she says, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love how keen she is for everything. She's like, fuck it, put it in me. Yeah, I'm so about this experience. He puts in her pod and then he sticks his tongue into her bioport. Yep. Yeah, he does. And then he's like, that wasn't me. It was my game character. They start making out. And then, yeah, it's kind of hot. It's kind of hot. Thank you for saying it. This is the part. This is the looking respectfully part. There's a part where she's like leaning against like a a crate of games and things where you're like, oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. That's all that needs to be said. Yeah. I love her line. This was probably an pathetically mechanical attempt. To heighten the emotional tension of the next game sequence. No use fighting it. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. There's this weird layer to her character where she may not be who she is, but she's playing that character so convincingly. Yeah. They're like, you forget and forget and forget. Mm-hmm. And she's so into this experience. And you're also like, why is she so into this experience if she's done it before? Mm-hmm. But... I mean, that obviously gets answered, but it's because her character just fucking loves playing this game. Yeah. Yeah. So Ted is very worried about his body. Yeah. His real body. He feels vulnerable. Because she's experienced and he isn't. Yeah. She tells him not to sweat it. They'll pop out of the game if there's a problem because they're still going to like feel everything. So, you know, if if the chalet burns down, they'll feel the heat. (laughs) They grind on each other some some more. Cut to a trout farm. Yep. He can still feel and hear her as he finds himself sitting at an immensely long bench in the processing of an assembly of That's insect. what was going on. Uh, right. So sitting, like the game was loading from the past seed and he could still, still feel, feel it. Her. Yeah. As he finds himself sitting in an immensely long bench in the process of assembling insect motherboards along with many other workers. That is yeah. a line from the script. Insect looks, motherboards. He I looks love confused that. about where about where he is. Next to him. Oh, oh hi. Boy. Oh, hi, Don McKellar. 
trying to remember who you are. Hey, hey, it works. I must be Evgeny Nuresh. And you, you are new to Trot Farm. Yeah. He's great. The accent, what a, the hair. Everything he's doing. Yep. Everything he's doing. Trying to remember who you are. Ted, or Larry, as his name tag says, is uh, cutting open an amphibian yeah. and then he takes out its organs, wraps it in brown paper, marks it with a pencil and then puts it into a, into a basket. Yeah, he seems to know what he's what doing. What he's doing, yeah. He talks with Nourish who acts like a game character looping. He is not a game character, as we will find out. Yeah. So it seems that Paykel is undercover at this factory and that Nourish is in fact his contact. Yeah. Nourish asks him where he plans to have lunch. May I suggest the Chinese restaurant in the forest? Everyone knows where it is. Just ask. Won't you be going there too? Unfortunately, I have other plans for lunch, but I do suggest you order the special and don't take no for answer. So is this also the Chinese restaurant game that yeah. they could have gone to before? I love that. The, it's the same chef on the poster. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. That's fucking great. So Paykel ends up being told to wheel a cart. He's needed to wheel a cart out back. It's a cart full of organs for people building game pods yeah. in horse stalls. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird. It's a weird choice to make all of this like – game creation stuff mm. because I mean, I know they're going like, Oh, the game pod and everything is fleshy and organic. Yeah. But now because of that, I love the choice to go, okay, so they're not factories anymore. They're in farms. Yeah. And like, it was out and out said earlier, but it didn't quite like mm. click with me until this. Yeah. It's one of those things where I, I do, I wonder sometimes with Cronenberg, because Cronenberg does this a lot. He's too smart for his own fucking good, to well, be honest. Well, what, yeah, he is. But what I'm going to talk about is, so Crimes of the Future, yeah. right, which is his newest movie, which is also a very smallly budgeted budgeted movie. Okay. was shot entirely in like a small town in Greece. Yeah. Right? So, but it's like similar, it's a similar kind of like vibe where it's about like art and, and there's like flesh and surgery and all kinds of weirdness. Yeah. But it's just shot in this small town in Greece, which is completely a budget thing. Like he's, he's chosen to embrace it as part of like the vibe of the movie, but it's clearly about the fact that they needed to shoot somewhere in Europe because that's what, what do you think comes first in from. his head though? Yeah. So, so, and this, and that's where, that's where I'm leading to with like this stuff. Like how much of this is like, it is in the script, but how much of this is like the practicality of trying to tell this story and not having access to millions upon millions upon millions of dollars to be able to build a like scientific facility. I don't know. And ultimately it doesn't, it doesn't matter it doesn't. because the choice, I want the to, choice really works. I want to think it's the choice for the script first. Yeah. But, but I, if he had, also might he had his the brain running alongside him creating this going, yeah. I'm not going to have heaps of money to do this. So how can I work this in? Yeah. There is a lot of, there's yeah. a lot of that. Yeah. Anyway. I would love to know his process with that. Cronenberg, hit us up. Let's have a chat. <laughs> Let's have you on the pod. You can, you can replace Adam one week. What I just did not expect about Cronenberg is how intelligent it is. You didn't expect it to be as like as intellectual. Yes. Mm. I really did not. You really just thought it was like gore for the sake of gore. I thought it was gore for the sake of gore. Then we watched Tromeo, which was like a kind of like, like what I would describe as like a putting a toe into what this world could be because it's trauma and not 
Cronenberg. Interesting. I wouldn't relate those two things. We really? Watched, not at all. Well, because I, I thought they were kind of in the same Yeah, I understand, I understand you thinking that Cronenberg was closer to trauma as opposed to what Cronenberg yeah. actually is. Like, I understand without without any, like, knowledge of having seen his movies. Yeah, because all I had was the meme they're of They're two different, different worlds. Yeah. Cronenberg is, a, a, and I, this is not an insult to trauma and Lloyd Kaufman. Yeah. Cronenberg is an artist. Yes. Right? Yes. yes. Lloyd Kaufman is a salesman. Yeah. Yeah, he's a I salesman. Think- he's a salesman, and he makes he's it is it's all you know it all is all artistic expression. Yes, but there's a difference between between what those those two things uh, are. There is a vast vast <laughs> difference, and I didn't realize like until we got to the fly how intellectual it could be. But then I watched this, and the subtext mm. upon subtext is just so impressive. I'm very curious about how you're going to feel about Videodrome. Okay, yeah. is it a is it a sidestep? No, well, it's before this. It's many. It's almost. Tw- it's almost twenty years before this. Okay, and it's sim- very similar thematically, but but also different. And I'm just curious. Not about, as great at execution. Uh, well, no. I mean, Videodrome is it is held up as being Cronenberg's best movie. Wow. Well, it depends on what you're into. Like, but okay. it is like one of his masterpieces. Because I'm about this one. Curious. Yeah, okay. Yeah, we did do kind of do this out of order. Yeah. Really I'm what very we should have done what we should have done is do is do them in chronological order. We should have done Videodrome, then the fly, and then this. Yeah, but that's that's no fun having the regular experience. Yeah, he so he finds Allegra building a pod. Yeah. She game loops on him. I thought at that point that Allegra, the real Allegra, had disappeared. Right. You thought maybe she'd been yeah. replaced. Yeah, it's interesting they never really go kind of down that down that path. But it makes sense when you figure out that all the other people who are game looping are also characters. Yes. Yeah. So Parker isn't impressed with how dirty this all is. They go to the Chinese restaurant in the forest. It is called Chinese restaurant. Yes. Chekhov's dog is in the kitchen. Yeah. At a round table, they sit with other workers. The waiter comes over and offers them we have nice sea bass today. Shall I bring it for everyone? Paco tries to order the special. We want a special. Did you hear me, Chinese waiter? We want the special. The special is for special occasions. I cannot give you the special. This is a special occasion. It's her birthday. Our birthday is a special occasion. I will therefore bring a special for everybody. <laughs> everybody else at the table gets up and walks away. I love that. Yeah. It's so good. I like the Chinese waiter. The Chinese waiter is, He's great. is, a, is a good time. Parker wants to pause the game. I mean, I fucking would too. Because he's he's starting to freak out. In the script and also in the work print, Paykel questions her about about whether or not she knows what the special is and why they and why they ordered it. You know, you know, really, don't you? You don't have to guess. I mean, this is your game, your little universe. I don't know. You have to understand that to understand what we've really created with Existence. You're telling me. You're telling me, for example, that you don't know what the special is. Correct. I don't. Or why we ordered it. Yeah, we ordered it because uh, another game character told you to. 
That's a clue we can't ignore, but that's just basic games playing. This is something I think about a lot. I think about uh, game language quite a quite a bit. Yeah, and about how D and D in that game language, but also like video game language. Sure, specifically video game language first, because I played video games from I think well, I think I was like three or four years old, right? Sure. So I grew up basically with game language embedded in me. There right? is shortcuts for certain things that you're trying to get across. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So there is a, like an inherent language to video game. There's an inherent language to cinema as well, which sure. I'm also fairly steeped in. Yeah. Right? Fairly steeped in. <laughs> the best example that I can think of is what do you do when you see a red barrel? Yeah. You explode it. You explode it. Yeah. Right? So it's interesting that playing games over the years, a lot with Kira Right. And she gamed as a kid, but she never really played a lot of 3D gaming because she couldn't figure out the camera. And I know yeah. that you have experienced this with Fucking Ellie. Ellie. Yeah. Right. She doesn't, she's way better now. She's like, she plays way yeah. more games now. She's way better. But I would watch her play games and miss all the cues. Interesting. Because that game language wasn't built into her. Into her. Yeah. Okay. So I think it's really, it's kind of really interesting. Like you're either a native to that language, which is an artificial language that's been created through you constantly yeah. playing video games or you're not and then you have to you have to kind of learn it it's not like it's a steep learning curve either like because they're built to be that kind of short kind of Kira, Kira for a long time <laughs> would just not see yeah like yeah there's a, she's like I don't know which way to go and I'm like well you're in a dark room and there's a light through a doorway over yeah. there like that is <laughs> seems like it's pushing you towards like that. there's a yeah, there's a, yeah and red, red barrels yeah. red barrels is always the thing that's the best crate. that's the best way to you see, what do you do yeah. if you see a crate in a video game you smash you it you smash it because yeah. there's something inside it yeah that piece of the script that was missing made me think about that kind of thing well we're playing the game we're doing why did we go to the restaurant and order the special well we did it because a game character told us to what I want to know is who is this freaking out is this is this the character in the in Transcendence? Oh, that gets that gets more complicated. Yeah, because we we realize there's another layer even to his character. Mm. So, what is he trying to get away from at this point? Like, how far deep in the Wonderland is he? And then her response to him wanting to stop. It's more overt in the work print. It is in mm. the is in the finished film. She plays it like sexual frustration. She does. No, that's clear. That he wants to stop. But what I'm saying is even more overt right, in the okay. work print. Aren't you dying? I love aren't you dying to see what's so special about the special. Yeah. There's a there's a desire within her character mm -hmm. that is quite clear that she's progressing towards a certain point. He's feeling disconnected from his, from his real life. And then there's another cut section where she tells him that that's the correct response. Yes. Oh, great sign. It means your nervous system is fully engaging with the game architecture. The game is a lot more fun when it starts to feel realer than real. And then she kisses him, right? And he agrees, but then he still stands up and yells, Exercise is paused. Yeah. And he collapses onto the table, and the table is the bed that they are laying on in the sh in the chalet. Oh, that's so Did you good. notice? No, I didn't. So when he falls forward, the t the, the table Fuck, is actually so the much I is actually the bed, yeah. Back in the chalet, she asks him how his real life feels. Unreal. Yeah. She's all blissed out like she's fucking post-coital. And she says to him, it's safe and boring. Nothing happens here. You want to go back to the Chinese restaurant. And he starts to freak out. I love her 
trying to grab his umbicord with her feet and yeah. drag him back to bed. Yeah. He thinks they might still be in the game. She feels like a game character. What is happening, like, in the script, I don't know if it's clear, but also what is your read on his character right now? Like I said, like, who is this going, I don't know where I am? I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure. Because in the end scene, mm. we even see that she has a little bit more clear drive and knows what she's well, doing no, a little he, bit. He, he's but violent. he also does. Yeah. But she has like a fanaticism with her mm. where I feel like he's, he's, I don't know. There's, there's a, I feel like maybe he gets a little lost throughout, mm. like the character. In the work print. Yeah. Here, there's a part where he asks her if they really made love. Did we really make love to each other? Definitely not. Feels like we did. Our characters did. I'm sure it would be very different if we did. I'm actually just like that in real life. You got the real Ted Pichel there in the game store. Well, you didn't get the real Allegra Geller. I can tell you that. I didn't? So in the movie... That's incredible. What is that implying? Yeah. In the movie, she kisses him. It's the first time they've had physical contact in the real world. Quote, yeah, yeah, yeah. Quote. And then in the work print, she says... In real life, I tend to lose control. And get messy. Interesting. Yeah. She wants to go back again, back to, to Existence. And then he flicks the nipple on her game pod. Right. I love that. Fuck, that's a good scene. Yeah. So uh. that's the type of thing where, like, the explanations for the world, right? Like, yeah. you lose those. Like, that's fine or whatever. Yeah. But I really wish that this, like, character depth stuff was, like, the complexity about her kind of – the complexity of her, like, even her sexuality yeah. was was still in there yeah. about, like, wh- how, how she behaves one place is not how she would behave elsewhere. Yeah. Because then that plays into the la- different layers of the of the game and then it's into also into the costuming as we talked about as well. What I – am amazed by as we're chatting is this came out the same year as matrix, which is wild Yep, because they, they share so many different themes. Um, but there's almost like there's, um, Oh God, what's that fucking movie where they go in the layers of dream inception inception. There's an inception quality to it. Mm -hmm. There's a total recall quality to it. Mm -hmm. And the, the intelligent and subtle like nuanced way that all of these complex ideas are actually handled with. And you don't even need to take them all to enjoy the movie. No. Like there's, there's a few that I miss, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I still, ah, ate this movie up. The way to bring them the special. Yeah. (laughs) Speaking of. It's an amphibian hot pot, (laughs) including their two headed friend. Ah, he didn't make it. (laughs) Michael's lost his appetite at how gross it is. A shame. Mutant reptiles and amphibians provide new and previously unimagined taste sensations. His line readings are just so fantastic. So good. He offers to take it away, but Allegra stops him, and then he's very happy that they decided to keep the special. Pykel feels a game urge and starts picking up squishy, squelching pieces of animal and then sucking the flesh off them. So good. In the script, Pykel has served out most of the creatures to himself and is avidly stripping the meat off their bones. Pykel looks up from his big bowl, which is rapidly filling with creature parts. 
His fingers are slimy and sticky, but he doesn't stop. His fingers working expertly on their own. Pikel is now snapping together bits and pieces of bone, gristle and flesh, a grotesque Lego set. When he's finished, he's made a gun very much like the one that was used in the attempted assassination in the church. Yeah, fantastic. And then he... Fucking amazing. ...reaches into his mouth, pulls out a bridge that he does not have, and loads the gun with his own teeth. <sighs> the trigger is a fucking wishbone. I know, I love that. Which is so good. And I just love the... I love once the gun is together, he cocks the gun. Yeah. And the... The way that the gun cocks is like really satisfying yeah. in like a in like, like an almost ASMR yeah. way. I'd love to own a replica of this prop, but I don't think that would have been let mad. me keep it in the house. He points the gun at her. Death to the demoness Allegra Geller. She is not amused. No. He apologizes, but he does feel the urge to kill somebody here. She has grabbed her bowl of soup. <laughs> ready to throw it yeah. at him, to hit him with it. Yeah. I love the second she realizes that he doesn't want to kill her. Well, he says it's the waiter. And then she's like, oh, that makes sense. And then she relaxes. I love how she immediately grabs her bowl, but like, are they starting to doubt each other in the game? Like, yeah. Because of the game urges. Yeah. 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 He isn't sure he can do it. It's too real. She tells him, you won't be able to stop. You might as well enjoy it. Yes. Such a good line. Pikel's like, he's too nice. I won't do it. And then he just does it. Yeah. So in the script, Pikel fires. The tooth bullet hits the waiter in the cheekbone. A chunk of the waiter's cheekbone comes off and his head jerks back like a fighter taking a stiff jab. The waiter's sweet face instantly transforms into a hideous, angry, snarling mask of hatred. He pulls a meat cleaver out of his jacket. Geller immediately throws her bowl of hot and sour soup into the waiter's face. The waiter screams and then wildly wipes the noodles and goop out of his eyes. He raises the cleaver over his head. The waiter swings and lunges across the table, managing only to hack the tip of the gun off. Pikel is shocked to see the gun start to bleed. The waiter, sprawling across the table, screams as he tries to reach Geller with his cleaver. Pikel fires into the waiter's shrieking open mouth, a tooth bullet into teeth. Mm. A piece of the waiter's skull comes off like a piece of coconut, the gold-filled tooth now flattened and embedded in it. The gun is bleeding all over Pikel's hand now. He drops it in disgust. The restaurant dog comes out of nowhere, picks up the gun and runs off with it under a table, where he crouches and starts to gnaw at it, growling. Pikel stands up shakily and begins to become aware of the strange, tense stillness of the other patrons in the restaurant. So it actually doesn't quite play like that in the movie. No. So they doesn't. don't do the teeth on teeth thing, which is probably just a practical, practical thing. Yeah. But still, the the head, the almost headshot, the exact is same. Pretty, is yeah, pretty, it's pretty gnarly. I love the fact that even though all the parts of the gun are pulled from these mutant animals that they're eating, hmm. they seem to be human parts. Oh, they're mostly animal-y parts. What What do you think is, is human? I mean, the it teeth, like obviously, but he pulled that out. But kind like, like cat and cat and mouse bits and I don't know. It seems to be an amorphous blob of human parts miniaturized. Okay. Puckle tells everybody else in the restaurant it's a misunderstanding to pay no attention. And then they all just go back to what they're doing. Yeah. Which is also such a fucking video game thing. I know, right? I just killed ten people in this room. <laughs> oh, do, 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 do. <laughs> Everything's good now. Oh, okay. Yep. NPC time. Nourish holding an amphibian. <laughs> Our boy, yeah. Then waves them into the kitchen. Who's now dressed like he's dressed like a chef. He asked them if he enjoys the, enjoyed, the, enjoyed their meal. Yeah. They both passed his test. The waiter had betrayed them, so he was who they were meant to, meant to yeah. kill. Out at the breeding pools. I didn't realize he was dressed like a chef. He he's looked, dressed like a chef. He made the meal for them. He, I thought he was dressed like a Colombian Coke dealer. You know what he's I mean? He's wearing like a chef's in, outfit. Isn't he wearing like a white shirt, like an open shirt? It's a chef's 
Apron. Right. Okay. Fuck. Fucking Brody. I know. I know. I see what I want to see. Yep. <laughs> Wait. I'm confused about the movie. So the cops knew that Internal Affairs was setting them up? What are you talking about? There's nothing like that in there. Well, you see, when I get bored, I make up my own movie. I have a very short attention span. But our point is very simple. You see when... Oh, look, a bird! <laughs> I've already cut in the part of from The Simpsons. <laughs> Sometimes I make up my own movie. <laughs> Nurse explains that the pools are there to raise creatures for the game pods. These are the breeding pools. Breeding pools. Is this, uh... Is this where you caught today's special? We originally were raising these modern creatures for the newest systems for game pods, but then we found they could be quite tasty. And so we opened the restaurant, and now that is our cover. But, of course, we are also raising them as components for undetectable and hypoallergenic weapons, right under the noses of our enemies. And speaking of our enemies. It's important that you go back to work at cortical systematics. We we need to maintain as many agents there as possible. I love that as like just an idea of like this world. Like I know it this world is a game world, but part of this world is the animals we use to make creatures in this future are also the the animals we use to make game pods in this world are also tasty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we eat our game pods. And they are also raising them as a component for undetectable hypoallergenic weapons. Yes. Right under right. the noses of our enemies. Hypoallergenic weapons. I loved that. Their enemy is cortical systematics. Ah. We find out that they are realists working to destroy the game pods. But they don't go back to the trout farm. No. They go to the game store. Yeah. Which I assume is kind of the base for the game world. But in the script and not in the work print, there is a giant chunk here that is missing when they're talking to Nourish. And in the movie, there is some ADR that is clearly covering what is cut. What is it? But it still doesn't make sense that they go to the game store and not to the trout farm. He tells them to go to the trout farm and then they don't go to the trout farm. They go to the game store. I didn't even notice. Yeah. Here's what's cut. Nourish tells them that he is a realist. Yeah. Pykel suddenly gives a robotic speech from his game character that says, Reality is a fragile thing. Most people think that reality must be, must of course be the most solid thing, but it isn't. Reality is threatened now more than ever. It's being eroded. It's being washed away in a deforming storm of non-reality, which masquerades as reality and eventually replaces it. Deformed and crippled and limping and hideous, threatening to engulf us all. Yeah. Yeah. And then afterwards, Nourish leaves and Parkle then asks Allegra, and this is, again, stuff that, that is not, in, is in the script, but it's not in the work print. Yeah. Enemies of reality? Or does that really mean enemies of existence? Are the realists the game life version of the anti-existentialists desperately wanting to kill you? She tells him not to take it seriously, which when you know that they are really realists, is her covering for his brain giving up their real agenda. Hectic. Yeah. It's one of those things where, yeah, all the explanation stuff, but why is this not in the movie? It adds so much. It adds it so really much to does. the movie. It really does. And I love the movie. Like, the movie is always fine the way it is. But, like, I just, 
you, wish that this stuff was in there. And it's not like it gives away anything too much either because, like, I don't it's think not, that just would the, give it away to it's me. It's just too intellectually complicated for the fucking Weinstein. Yeah. I'm sure of it. I'm yeah. sure that that's what happened. I agree. Because yeah. it doesn't give it away. Then they start talking about cortical systematics and why is that so familiar. She reminds him that they saw it everywhere in the game store which is why they go back to the game store, right? And we also leads, it leads to this exchange in the script, Pykel. So that makes it the game life version of our own company. Cortical Systematics is equivalent to antenna research in the real world. So then do we meekly go back to work and say nothing? It sounds as though Nourish and his realists are preparing to sabotage the trout farm. Before you know it, they'll be planning to assassinate game designers. Geller, we're just characters in here. Don't mix your real life loyalties into it or you'll lose for sure. Ah. That's great. Yeah. That's amazing. So then, back with the movie, in the game store, they go to the clerk, Hugo, which we learned from his name badge. Yeah. Darcy Nader is there. (laughs) He's in the back. Yeah, he's dead on a shelf. Yeah. You shouldn't have killed a Chinese waiter. Why not? He was your contact at the trout farm. Damn good man. His uh, dog brought me this. We were contacted there by Yevgeny Nourish. He seemed to know exactly who we were. It turns out Nader was a mole and tipped off Nourish, who is not a real realist, but a double agent for cortical systems. Fucking great. Hugo is a real realist. He sends them back to the trout farm to kill Nourish. Ah. I love this. Again, massive sections are cut here. Yeah. Before the trout farm. I assume that you both have had spinal port inserts installed, bioports. Hmm. We have. Do you both realize that neither of you can be buried on hallowed ground because of these these mutilations? Does your bioport manual tell you that? Are you trying to talk us into having them removed? No. No, in fact, you would be useless to us without them. We realists are forbidden to have them. That's why we have to use people like you on occasion. I don't understand. Are you wanting us to jack a game into our bioports? Game? No, not a game. A weapon. You go back to the trout farm. In a familiar place, you find a dirty wicker basket with a moldy canvas cover. How will we know what to do? Even a child didn't know what to do. And then they hear a knocking sound because in the work print, they leave the game again. Oh. Uh, Sorry to interrupt you, kids, but I told you better have something to eat. Knock it on the door a few times to invite you to dinner. Come in. And when they got no answer, I figured you must be playing existence to try out your new pod, your new bioport. Curie has bought them some food. Mm. Mm. Chinese food. Shut up. (laughs) Fuck yeah. And he, when he walks in into the room, he acts like he walked in on them fucking because they are like completely blissed out and not really paying attention to him. <sighs> Just leaving a tray here. No, no, no unporting, please. 
Just want to make sure our star designer was in good place. She asks if he's heard any news about the shooting and he tells them that it's everywhere. It's all over the news. And... Oh, yes. He's come over all the media now. You have never been more famous. Your face is everywhere. Which, of course, makes it worse. They announced possibility that antenna would delay the release of your new system indefinitely until they can determine how widespread support for this fanatical group really is. I don't approve myself. I don't believe that one should bend one degree for extremists. Support for the fanatics, what does that mean? Well, oh, they all come out of the work now. Who has? Well, uh, a lot of people are taking opportunity to jump on the anti-game bandwagon. Now they hear the rumors about what the existence system is. They think we've gone too far, psychologically, socially, medically, you name it. And I'm afraid I wouldn't put it past our competitors to be involved in this, to try to rip up public opinion, to kill our new system before it is born. So the the idea of like this fanaticism, the kind of religion aspect of it, yeah. is even more enhanced in the work print and in the in the screenplay. That would have been good. I don't know if that's needed. I think that's clear, but it would have been good to set the scene a little bit more. Yeah. So after Nourish to set the end scene a little bit more, yeah. I feel. So after Nourish leaves, Parkle suggests to Allegra that they should stop playing. <sighs> to be honest. I find your game very confusing. I'm not sure I want to go back in there because I'm not convinced I'm going to keep coming out. I love how and then he's, and it is his end character scene. It has to be his end character scene freaking out. You really like that feeling? Yeah. I love it. When Existence is released... It's going to wipe the competition off the face of the earth. Will it? It really will do that. Yes. And then, this is this exchange of dialogue that is just like, holy shit. Don't hurt me, Pyle. Don't make me go back in there alone. Play with me. She is 100% trying to convince him yes. to, have, to have sex. I'm worried your game will wipe me off the face of the earth. I'm thinking I was right never to have a bioport installed. But you have one now. Then she flicks no. the nipple Stop. and jacks them back into the game against his will. And he screams. I don't want to be here. Wow. Which is why back in the trout farm, he is so pissed off at her. Wow. He has this whole dialogue when they, when we cut back in the movie, when we cut back to the trout farm, he's like, what the fuck are we even doing? I can't believe like, why are we, why are we here? Because he, yeah. she, has, she forced him into the game against his will. This is so good. I wish there was more, like 
clear, like I've said a lot about how beautiful the subtext is, but I almost wish there was just a little bit to explain what was going on between the real, real Damn, yeah. characters. We never really spend time with the real We don't real know them. them. Yeah. So yeah. his dialogue is, I don't like it here. I don't know what's going on. We're blundering around together in an unformed world whose rules and objectives are largely unknown, seemingly indecipherable or possibly non-existent, always on the verge of being killed by forces we don't understand. Yeah. So they have to look around for the weapon. Hugo told them it will be somewhere familiar. So they go to her assembly bay. Yeah. And they find the moldy basket inside. They find a disease pod. Yeah. She feels the game urge to port into it. She grabs an umbicord from a wall. He wants to help her. He can't believe she wants to connect to a disease pod, but he helps. Yeah. She feels sick straight away. He tries to unport her, but the port is swollen and he can't pull it out. So he grabs a knife and cuts the umbicord and she starts to bleed, bleed out straight yeah. away. He doesn't even try to stop the, stop the bleeding, which is a little dumb. Yeah. It, and she eventually says, I'm bleeding out, and he picks it up and tries to stop it, but he doesn't know what to do. Yeah. Nourish who's there. I know what to do. <laughs> He's a fucking flamethrower. That was the best entrance ever. He blasts the sick pod. Death to realism. Yeah. The pod, like, burns up, but then explodes spores into the air that infect the entire factory, all of the biomaterial, all of the pods in the factory. Mm. Allegra stabs him in the back and then he yells death to the demoness, but he collapses before uh, he can kill her. Pykel says, I think we just lost the game. Yeah. The fire is spreading through the room and then we transition out of the game and they're back in the chalet in the real world. Yeah, but something is wrong. Well, the infection has come back with them. Her pod is dying. She's going to lose her game. Puckle doesn't understand how that can happen. She says that there's a very weird reality bleed-through effect happening. I'm not sure I get it. Goes to her ski boot, grabs a needle, and then she injects the pod with sporicide because pods are vulnerable to spores. Spores, of course. Puckle's itching his back. She's like, what are you doing? And when she looks, it's infected. She's like, it's Curie. He gave Pykel an infected port. Yeah. The game was trying to tell them that it was sick by inducing the theme of disease into the into the game. I love I love the whole way how they play with the game knows things and it's trying to tell you, mm. but like it might not be exactly the path that it's leading you down, but there's themes that are overhanging. Yeah. Well, and that's what happens with the, with the anti-realism, the realist yeah. stuff as well. The theme of disease, I'm really fucking infected. It's going to crawl up my spine and rot my brain. <laughs> she tells him that she's going to seal up his bioport with an antiviral resonator. Oh, I love this. She plugs, it's a butt plug. She plugs a butt plug into his yeah, bioport. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. It uses the umbi pickups to power. It should cleanse all your porting channels of infection in a few hours. It'll oh, give so your skin good. a little buzz when it's done. There's some weird cuts here. She suddenly like goes, there's like this weird cut where she's having a conversation with him and then her pod makes a noise and then she's like, oh no, my pod. And it's because they've cut made cuts here to take out the word anti-existentialism. Ah. There are awkward cuts. And here's the thing is, I have thought yeah. it was a weird, I have, in, in my brain, I have thought that it was a weird transition for 24 fucking years and I only just found out why. It's funny in the because past 24 hours. when I see those things in a film, I don't think they're weird in a film like this. I think 
there's a reason. I yeah. just don't understand what the reason well, is. There it's is beyond a, me. There is a reason. It's because yeah. the line a concept. But I never think it's it. that. You yeah. know what I mean? I never think, oh, they're cutting around something. I'm like, oh, that's an intention for some reason. Mm. The pod is really dying this time. She comforts it like she's comforting like yeah. an animal that's been yeah. put down. And then the fucking window explodes. In comes our boy, our boy, Callum Case Rainey, Hugo. The uprising has begun. The world is in flames. Let's go. You got to get out of here. They're going to be looking for you. The cashier. He's a game character. How can he be here? I fucking loved this. This was like reality spilling. This is like the game world spilling into reality. And I was like, I fucking knew this was going to happen, but I just didn't think necessarily it was going to happen and I was so here for it. He's got a fucking machine gun which he uses to Yeah, uh, rocks in like a green beret. Kind like of a green thing. beret. Yeah. He um, machine guns her pod as she screams. Leave that rotting piece of meat here, it's wait, done wait, its job! Wait. I keep my game inside there, I can't let my game die! No! Wait! <laughs> and it sounds like there's a war going on outside. Pykel tells her... I think we're still inside the game. I think your pod's out there somewhere, somewhere safe. I think it's all right to let go of this one. This pod, it's not the real one. A Molotov comes through the window and they rush out with Hugo, who fires at at people that we don't see. Yeah. It is very funny how small this is when you pay attention to it. Yeah. There's about six dudes running around. Yeah. There's some buildings on fire, but there's just six dudes running around firing blanks. In my mind, this is always much more elaborate than it really is. A hundred percent. My mind adds in like cars doing (laughs) shit in the background, explosions going off. You know what I mean? Yeah. Hugo says, we can see everything from up here. They're just standing on a hill. I know. They're not even that far up. The victory of realism and you were a part of it. The death of existence and we were part of it. There's just one more thing. (gasps) We're on your side. How could you be? How could Allegra Geller, the world's premier game designer, be on our side? Oh yeah, we know who you are. But you can't hide inside a game forever. Something slipped over the edge here, Allegra. Something's all wrong. (laughs) Kiri runs up and shoots him with the bone gun. My dog brought me this. My yeah. dog brought me this. <laughs> yeah. It's like fucking fantastic. And then she accuses him of murdering her game. And Kiri responds, no, I murdered your pod. I copied your game complete with its contents. He wants her to come over to cortical systematics. Yeah. All of the antenna top brass are defecting. If she wants her baby back, she'll have to switch sides. And then she just cuts him down with Hugo's okay. machine gun. Yeah. What are you doing? You've killed him. You're gonna kill me next! Michael, he was only a game character. I didn't like the way he was messing with my mind. You didn't like that? So you killed him. <laughs> He's only a game character. Allegra. What if we're not in the game anymore? If we're not, 
Then you just killed someone real. A real person. You see what can happen? It's important for me that you see that. Why? There was no accident that you and I ended up on the run together. Not an accident. No. That's why you never had a bioport. You were one of them. Still, I am one of them. But you have a bioport now. I made the bioport sacrifice to get close to you. Cut from the script, and also not in the work print, to make love to my enemy. Wow. Which is fantastic. And then back with the actual movie and with the script. Why would you want to do that? To understand what I have to kill. And understand this. Understand I knew that you were my real assassin when you pointed the gun at me in the Chinese restaurant. And understand that. Pulls and then pushes down a plunger. So and his perfect. entire back explodes. So brutal. It's a, port. It's a butt plug bolt. Yeah, it was so good. Death to the demon Ted Pinkle. Death to the demon Ted Pinkle! Ah! Have I won? Have I won the game? Have I won? So good. And then on her, and then on her head is a headset made out of like blue plastic, and she has a device on her hand. And then she sees the church pews in the grass in front of her. Mm. And then everybody wakes up in the actual real world, mm. in the church from the opening of the movie. In the transcendence world. Are we back? Sitting on the edge of the stage is Merle, played by Sarah Polly from last night. Yeah. Don McKellar's sister in, yeah. in, oh, in, in last right. night. Yeah. And also, I talked about, during last night, I mentioned that she'd moved into directing and that she had a movie yeah. that came out last year that I hadn't seen, Women Talking. Yeah. I've seen it since then. Good. It was fucking incredible. That's mad. It was so good. It's on Prime if you want uh, in Australia, okay. if you want to watch it. Uh, it's great. It's very intense. It's very full on. Okay. It is literally just women talking. It's amazing. In the real world, the game creator is Don McKellar. Yeah. As Nourish, along with the whole rest of the cast from both games. From the real world and the and the, and the game, it's very Wizard of Oz, and you were there, and him, and yeah, you. like you're looking around, and everybody's there. They joke around for a bit, and then we find out that they were only playing for twenty minutes, but it felt like days. I love that. The guy that plays Nader, mm. that's where we hear his real accent. If you stayed your whole life in the game world, then you could live to about I don't know uh, five hundred years. Uh, we get kind of everybody's reaction to the game. Ian Holm complains about his accent. His own yeah, like, that's I right. Even understand my accent myself. was so thick, I couldn't even understand it. Callum Keith Rennie tells him that... The twists and turns at the end made my uh, head uh, spin. Maybe there was too many too fast to absorb. Uh, Defoe's bummed out about how early he was knocked out. Yeah. And then Eccleston thinks that he was playing a boring character. He did a bit to do at the beginning, but he was kind of bored with it. Yeah. We find out that they were playing... Capital C, capital Z. Transcendence. It's new. It's from Pilgrimage, capital P, capital I, and it's coming soon. Brilliant. Allegra has straight hair and is yes. meek as fuck here. I can't believe I didn't pick this up. And she's really she's really meek and yeah. unadorned, like unmade up. Yeah. And she says... Oh, I just want to say thank you to Mr. Nourish for giving me the chance to play the role of a star designer. <clears throat> I guess the game picked up on my um, ambition to be like you. 
Allegra, you were so good in that role that I suspect it won't be long before Pilgrimage is after you to sign a designing contract. And, uh, and maybe you should bring along your friend Ted here, Mr. Peichel. He's obviously pretty good in a crisis, and when you're designing games, there's plenty of those. We find out that Peichel and Geller, I guess, are, are, are a real couple, and that the game clearly picked up on that. And then they are going to break up for like a focus. There's going to be a focus group, but they need everybody to, to fill out their, their questionnaire. Afterwards, while they're doing that, Nuris says to Merle, Merle, I was very disturbed by the game we just played. What do you mean? It had a very strong, very real anti-game theme. I mean, it began with the attempted assassination of a game designer. Really? That's very creative. On second thought, I, I see what you mean. It does make me nervous. You think this, this must have come from one of our game players? Well, it sure didn't come from me. What is interesting about that, it adds this layer of the game that's been designed is actually just this construct of how to interact with the people in the game and what you desire and the things that are going on in your brain will layer it in, right? Yeah. And because... Michael seemed to be essentially the main character there. Like he was going from zero to experiencing everything. He's the audience surrogate because he doesn't know anything yes. about gaming. Yes, audience surrogate is, is the right way to put it. And the other main character would be, uh, 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 what's the character Allegra. Name? Allegra. But because her role, which she's playing from the base ground, which is like transcendence like from her real role she's committed to that role mm-hmm. so much that she's coming off like a game designer even in the game yeah whereas you can tell that like her partner doesn't really get the whole game thing so he's come in from like a pr point of view mm. and then he's but the one being shown through the game and it's not really from pr it's really from the fact that he's a realist and this is his experience and then it makes sense that allegra is the whole movie yeah allegra is pulling him through the yeah. process and also and that's why he freaks out a couple of times and also anytime that anytime that he's like gonna give the game away yes she, she doubles pulls, down she doubles down she pulls him away she pulls yeah ah oh, that's so fucking clever yeah in the script there's more that was cut out there's cut out and it's right. in the work print as well and the tone of it in the game was very very passionate uh, fanatical and the atmosphere of paranoia and uh, betrayal was overwhelming the, the whole thing felt unstable dangerous um, volatile but Worse than that, there was this kind of uh, industrial espionage subplot, stealing game systems, jumping ship from one game company to another, that kind of thing. Which one of them does these elements come from? Let's probe it when we do the focus group. Amazing. So that's what was cut. I got goosebumps by how well this put together is. Mel then says, we'll probe it in the focus groups. And then we're back into the into the movie, right? So good. Michael and Geller come over with their dog, the dog yeah, from Yeah. They want to ask Nourish some questions. And then we get... We've played your game now, so we can finally agree with the others that you are indeed the world's greatest game artist. We weren't sure before. Oh, thanks so much. New Guinea? Don't you think you should have to suffer for all the harm you've done and intend to do to the human race? What? 
Yes. Don't you think the world's greatest game artist ought to be punished? For the most effective deforming of reality. I, I don't think this is very... Oh. Guys, can you come over here right now, please? This is from the script. Geller reaches down and pulls a flap of false fur and skin away from the dog to reveal two semi-automatic pistols strapped to the dog's flanks. Parker and Geller grab the guns, pull back their slides, and coolly execute Merle and Nourish. Who bump grotesquely together as they slump to the ground. In the stunned silence that follows, only the clatter of the last few shells bouncing around the hardwood floor can be heard. As Parker and Geller turn towards the back exit, the young Chinese man who was the waiter in the game stands flattened out in fear against the pillar with his questionnaire and pencil in his hand. They immediately swing their pistols towards him. The waiter stops and raises his hands. Hey, tell me the truth. Are we still in a game? Parker and Geller look right at us. Cut to credits. I loved that. One big thing in the script, yeah, but not that, in the movie. That is missing from the movie is that throughout the entire screenplay, and I've kept this to the very end. It okay. is our own very transcendence moment. When they go from the game world to the real world, and from the real world to the game world, and I just mean from existence to what we think is the real world. Yeah, he describes the game world as melting away. Yeah. It was probably, again, it's probably a cut for budgetary reasons. Like, it's just easier to just film more basic visual transitions. They didn't have the budget for visual effects to melt the world away. Yeah. Right? Having read the script, that makes the very last line of the screenplay very interesting. Okay. The last line of the screenplay is, Pykel and Geller look at each other and then into camera. The church melts down around them into blackness. Fuck. (laughs) So, by the logic of the screenplay, the original intention of the ending is that they are, in fact, still in a game. Fuck. They did the fucking... They did the fucking... Um, not Inception ending. Inception ending. Yeah, but the Inception ending doesn't matter. True. I mean, this ending doesn't matter either. True, but still, like... I don't know if I, I think I like the ending that we had. I love, I love the I love the movie. Like I don't, yeah. I don't, I wouldn't. I'm I'm fine with the movie that I have. Again, I just think that this stuff is really fascinating. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And that is existence. What a fucking film! Yep, felt like I it was half an hour long. It blew past. Yeah, an appropriate age to have seen existence. <sighs> this one's a bit weird. It's a bit. It's kind of like the fly. It's, it's like weird the, that it's, it's an R one. movie. Can I just put that out there? It's super weird that it's R. I don't think it needs to be R. R in Australia. Yeah. Mostly because of the just. I think because of the concepts. There is a little bit of violence in it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think. I reckon you could watch this from eleven and be fine. Like the overt sexuality of some parts, I think at eleven you mull over. Thirteen might be good to kind of catch those elements because you're like, oh, what's that? Mm. Yeah, I was probably seventeen or eighteen when I saw. Yeah, it. I think but that's, that's perfect. Only, but it's only because that was when it came out. So. This is one of those movies that the older you watch it, I think the better. Sure. Yeah, yeah. where it's not about appropriateness. I think if you watch this as an older person, you get more of the subtext. I got more out of it this time around. 
I'm so glad we talked through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would you watch this movie again if you're in free will? Yeah, 100p. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to send you the work print. Watch the work print with Ali. Yeah. God, it's been a while since I've rated a movie. I don't know how I feel about where I'm going to put this. <laughs> well, that is where we're going. The way that we rate movies is on a five-star scale, with one being I hated this movie, two being I did not like this movie, two and a half being I liked parts of this movie, it was fine, three being I liked this movie, four being I love this movie, and five being this is one of my favorite movies of all time. <sighs> I'm torn. I have a really high rating of this film and I don't know why, but I want to give it a 4.5 to a 5. Mm-hmm. And let me just game it out with you and see where you think I'm sitting. What did you? I don't know where you gave the fly. Did you give the fly four and a half? I think I gave it a five. Did you? I don't remember. Yeah, no, I love the fly. Kira used to take notes on what we gave right. I know. I just don't. <laughs> and it's, a, it's a lost art. Mm. Just thinking about this movie, I want to give it a five. Because it just like, it, there's a nostalgia somehow to this movie that I don't understand. That's interesting. Um, and Is it a nostalgia for a type of filmmaking? Yeah, and a yeah. time of film. Yeah, no, I miss, oh yeah, I miss that too. Yeah, and I feel like this is one of those movies that I can put on and be pleasantly surprised through each watch through. Mm-hmm. But I also feel like maybe 4.5 is more appropriate because I love this film and I would watch it again, but I don't know if it sits... It's almost like there's two ends to what I would classify as a favorite movie of all time. You have said that before. Yeah. There's yeah. a favorite of movie of all time, which is like the ones that make you. Mm-hmm. And then there's those ones that just like, fuck it, I'd, I'd love to watch that film at, mm-hmm. at any time, at any place. I feel like that's one of these. Okay. So maybe I'll give it a 4.5. Mm. I, no, I will say to you, I never give anything a five on a first watch. Yeah. Um, yeah, and never ever. Yeah, that's because I don't know. Because you yeah. got to live with the movie. Yeah, true. You got to live with the movie. Like I feel movie, like there's some movies you can give a five on a first go. No, no, no? nothing. That's fascinating. I'll give something a four point five. Yeah, but I would never give give something a five on the first go. Really. Yeah, as I have kind of said before, this movie kind of plays a little bit like a best of Cronenberg. Yeah, or like him combining all of his spare parts from other movies into kind of like a one last kinky ride. It, but it's a great ride. Yeah. You know, gaming and experiencing art as kind of like sex and the idea of losing yourself in the flesh of the game mm. and then not knowing what's real and what's There's not. There's a carnality to this yeah, movie. It's yeah. 100% my brand of gum. This is yeah. the, like, we're right in the fly territory for me. Yeah. Like I'm just, I'm just in it. I know for some people that kind of best off feeling is a minus as we kind of talked about a little bit before, mm. but even as messy as it kind of gets a little bit towards, towards the end. I think the messiness is really kind of just leaving it up to you. It's kind of just part of it. Yeah. yeah. And I just really love the the ideas in the world. And I actually think that it's a movie that is becoming more relevant and more prescient given the current state of the of the internet. Mm. Uh, Death to the Demon Ryan Johnson is not much of a stretch. <laughs> Isn't Ryan? No, Ryan. Who's Ryan? Okay. It's Ryan. Okay. You don't know that his name is Ryan Johnson? I'm, is this the dude R-I-A-N? Yeah, that's Ryan. I thought it was Ryan. No. <laughs> Ryan Johnson, director of Brick, Brothers Bloom. Okay. Yep. Yep. yep, yep. That Star Wars movie that everybody hates, yep. which is the one that I love. Um, and the way that people act about Zack Snyder is very culty. Yeah. It's very, we're loyal to this guy yeah. in a way that is aggressive towards anybody who says anything bad yeah. against him. Yeah. Um, it's like he's got fucking beer flavored nipples or something. <laughs> Does he? I don't know. <laughs> to quote one of my uh, favorite other movies from 1999. Yeah. Do you know where that's from? I do, but I can't Heath recall. Heath Ledger says it about somebody in 10 Things I Hate About You. That's and right. it is such a weird turn of phrase that I use it all the time. And every time I use it, Kira's like, why do you say that? 
five stars. Yeah, yeah I, five stars. I 100% reckon it's worthy of that. Um, yep. Yeah, it's interesting that you make commenters like it's becoming more relevant. Yeah. That, that, fanat- that, really that, that idea of like fanatical obsession with like a brand or a person we do, or a corporation, I don't understand that shit. Yeah. I, I am somebody who is an obsessive, clearly, yeah. like with this podcast. I get obsessed with things. But like how people are with but Apple, I don't, you know what I mean? Yeah, that but I kind don't of thing. worship things like yeah. that. I don't quite understand it. And I also am like, I'm also somebody that, that if a filmmaker I love makes a movie that it doesn't connect with me. Yeah. Like it's not quite truthful about like, it. Yeah. I'm like truthful. Like people make bad movies. Like yeah. not every movie hits. Right. Yeah. And I don't like every, I don't like every single Cronenberg movie. I'll be honest. There are yeah. movies that don't do anything for me. Yeah. Okay. There are movies that are a little, even a little bit too strange, strange for me or just are not my kind of material. Right? Yeah. But so I just don't kind of, kind of get that. And it, it's something that you see online everywhere. I mean, it's the it's the thing where everything is either the, the best thing ever or the worst thing ever. Yeah. And then, and then if you say anything about it, you post, hey, I saw this like, I saw this movie. It was really good. I had a nice time. And then people are like, I fucking hate that movie. Yeah. You're a piece of shit. Yeah. Fuck like, you. What the yeah. Fuck is, what the fuck is that? What There's this I- weird fanaticism. And, that I, and I think that the the internet and we all know how I feel about that. I think it just fosters that shit in a way that is really, really toxic. And I think that this movie way ahead of the curve on that stuff. Next episode. Next episode. Next episode. The way we're going to pick a movie. Yeah. Conveniently, it is your pick. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> this works out. Because otherwise, I don't know what the fuck we would have done. I would have had, I would have had three. No, you would not have. We must <laughs> keep the integrity of the picking system. <laughs> okay, okay. The way that we pick movies is that my co-hosts alternate taking turns, picking from three choices I prepared. It is Brody's pick. If a movie remains unpicked three times, it's struck out, taken off the list, although I can bring it back and lay down to my choosing. There is only one film on the list. Do you even remember what the fuck no. it is? No. Not at all. Is it the one that I can see? No. Is that a, is that a no. fake one? Yeah, it's like Sergeant Kabuki Man and ah. and, and my the, the tape that I always use is a fake tape. Damn. <laughs> What is, it? what is it? It's the a figure? German version of Near Dark, oh, okay. a vampire movie from from the early eighties. Never heard. That of is it. in German, so we can't watch. We can't watch <laughs> it. I just bought it because I like the cover. We art. can try. Anyway, still on the list with one strike. Oh my god, Young Guns. Emilio Estevez. Kiefer Sutherland. Casey Shamashko. Dermot Mulroney. Lou Diamond Phillips. Charlie Sheen. Young Guns. Oh, shit. The Western. MTV Western. Lou Diamond Phillips. Emilio Estevez. Oh, Charlie Sheen. What? Dermot Mulroney. Fuck yeah. That's going to be hard to beat. It is going to be hard to beat. Because like, I loved this film, but I'm also looking for a left turn here. Okay. Well, yeah. here's the thing. According to my math, not a math pod, but according to my calculations, <laughs> these picks will take us into October. Oh, my favorite month of the year, Christmas for weirdos, 
Halloween oh, is almost upon us. I'm so excited for Halloween, Ken. I don't even know what we're doing, but I'm so excited. Well, you mean our actual Halloween? Yeah, I don't care about this pug. Sure. I'm so excited to see how you entertain me. I offer two paths for <laughs> Halloween. Yes. The Continue. first, the first path I offer you is John Carpenter's Halloween. Last year, we did Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Yeah, wow, okay. So we've actually not watched a legitimate quote-unquote. JC, you brought out big guns. Two big guns. Okay. The second choice, Wes Craven's A Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, wow. The kids of Elm Street don't know it yet, but something is coming to get them. There's something out there, isn't there? <laughs> Just see cuts happen. What did that, Lieutenant? I don't know. There's a coroner got to say. He's in the jar and puking since he saw it. You're gonna kill me for sure. Did you do it? There was somebody else there. He was locked in a room with a girl who went in alive and came out in a rubber bag. No one knows where it came from or who it will visit next. Nancy? There's something wrong with you. You're imagining things. Nightmare on Elm Street. Do you believe in the boogeyman? No. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. No! No! She's the only one who can stop it. If she fails... I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy. No one will survive. Craven, director of The Hills Have Eyes and Last House on the Left, a new masterpiece in fantasy terror, Nightmare on Elm Street. Wow. I want to say LDP. I'm sorry, my boy. <laughs> Young Guns is out. I'm shocked in this, mate. <laughs> I told Kira what I was going to do and Kira was like, okay, so I know what we're doing. Yeah. I think I'm going to, I think I'm, oh, 
I have a lot of love and faith for JC. <laughs> yes. But I think I think I'm gonna have to go nightmare. Bit of Wes. We've done Wes before, haven't we? We've not done a Wes Craven movie. Have we not? No. What did we talk about? He, him, we talk about Wes Craven all the time. Did we? Yeah, I talk about Wes Craven all the time. We've okay, not because I remember West- specifically we've talked about him a lot. We've not done a Wes Craven movie. We, we have- haven't done a John Carpenter movie, have we? We did Prince of Darkness we and the Fog Prince back to back. That's we what did. we did last. So last Halloween, last October, we and going in, spilling into November, we did. Halloween three season, the witch. And then I put a real John Carpenter movie on that. Right. And we did the fog followed by Prince of Prince of Darkness. Okay. Well, I so we did John Carpenter last this. year. We did John Carpenter last year. All so, right. So this year uh, for two paths, we can continue on the Carpenter path or we can do our first Wes Craven movie. I will have one Wes Craven movie, please. Ken. So we're going to do a nightmare on Elm street. We're finally going to do a nightmare on Elm street. Fuck. Yeah. Are we going to do nightmare on Elm street? Like, I'm not sure. <laughs> Oh, yeah. So we have talked about this before on the pod. The Nightmare on Elm Street problem is that is that do we do the do I parcel this shit out or yeah. do we just do fucking seven Nightmare on Elm Street movies back to back? I do have some some news. There was an assumption that you would pick a Nightmare on Elm Street within, yeah, within okay. my within my within my household. <laughs> yeah, which means Kira will be back next episode oh. for a Nightmare on Elm Street because there's no fucking way she is letting us do that movie without being on the pod. That's exciting. That's very exciting news. So there we go. She better warm up. She's got to practice. She's, she's got to come back with the fucking vengeance. I think that I think she'll be okay. Oh, good. I think, she, think she'll get you. Good. I missed her on here. So that's it. Don't like, don't subscribe. Add wiki video on most of the social media things. We are not on but, threads and never will be. And yeah. we've kind of abandoned Twitter. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, so is everyone else. Yeah. Anyway. Um, but also subscribe to all of those things and we love you. No. Uh, leave a review so that Brody has to tell us terrible yeah. stuff. I should have looked to see if we'd had a new review. I did not, so I will for the next for the next episode. And uh, come on, Pykel. <laughs> Death to the demon. <laughs> Death to the demon Brody McDonald. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah, Scene. Saying.